perspective thrill me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Al Care Boy, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, celestial event. That works. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy podcast. Crossroads are science fiction, fantasy, and horror meet. I'm your host, Nathan Bartleball. I'm joined again with my co-host, Bill Van Vagel. Bill, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing really well. I love having guests on. I love talking movies. I love it when my daughter's in bed and she's not bothering me. So this is going to be a good night, all right? So yeah, all the all the pieces are falling into place. Yeah, <laughs> the stars are aligning. So. Yes. <laughs> well, we have a really cool show tonight. Uh, for anyone who uh, hasn't listened yet, we did uh, our most recent episode was the best horror movies of 2021, and we had some some fun guests on there. Uh, we had Victor H. Rodriguez was on there, Amanda Lee was on there, and so was uh, Greg Bench came on and joined us, and he had been the year before as well for 2020 it was a lot of fun we went over a lot of movies tonight we're doing our general best of the movie basically everything else list of best movies of the year uh last year we kind of had more science fiction fantasy and we did throw in other titles that were sort of genre specific but this year we said you know what the heck this will just be all movies uh with the exception i will say that since we did cover horror pretty uh specifically on the last one any horror movies that would have ended up on this list, I left off. You can kind of hear about them over on the best horror movies list. And we brought in a couple of guests tonight to join us. So uh, Victor Rodriguez is back with us tonight. Uh, Victor, how are you doing? Hey, good. Thanks for having me back on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I, and... I, I was going to say, sorry, I apologize, Victor. I will no longer call you a guest. You are now just part of the crew. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes you are you are part of the crew uh in in every sense he's victor is even a co-host now or will assume to be co-host on, on one of our russian nesting doll phantom galaxy yeah. podcasts i'll mention that a little bit more at the end i mentioned on the last episode and we have a brand new guest joining us for the first time he's not new to the community but he's new to uh phantom galaxy uh trey whetstone who has his own podcast uh screaming through the ages is that that's right did i get that right yeah that's trey. right nathan Okay, good. Absolutely. I, it took me like three tries to get Victor's podcast right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for having me on, guys. I finally made it. I'm on Phantom Galaxy. Your life <laughs> yeah. is complete now. You know? Yep. <laughs> so, you know, I appreciate you guys having me on, though. I'm really excited to get in here and record this episode. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you want to, just right now... Uh, Trey, go ahead and tell them a little bit about Screaming Through the Ages, which is a relatively new podcast, right? Since the fall, I think. Yeah, I started in October and 
for the most part, it's just um, going through different topics throughout the history of horror movies. So kind of tackling maybe lesser known movies and topics and subjects and things like that. And it's very cool. I've been following along. You've had you've had some great guests, guests that we've had over here as well. Uh, Matt Rawlings and you've had uh, Dave Becker on and uh, lots of. And you're a man after my own heart, digging into Hammer, digging into Euro films, getting into Barbara Steele. Now, if there's one getting thing into Barbara requ- Steele, well, I, <laughs> I, only. I, I was going to say now that you've had a Barbara Steele, I would love you to do one on Ingrid Pitt. Yeah, that could definitely be in the cards. I'm getting ready to wrap up Euro horror for now, but like I say on that last episode, I'm getting ready to release. I'm not done with that subject at all. So Very I just cool. think she's ba ba boom. Any <laughs> uh, Ingrid Pitt story at one point I can't remember who it was with but we were doing like a actual like Zoom or Skype call where the person was recording video and Bill was on there and he had Ingrid Pitt as his jumping out of a coffin as his background image but every time <laughs> he, every time he turned around his head would literally disappear because of like the the green screen kind of issue but it would disappear into her cleavage. So I have all these screenshots. It looks like Bill, Bill is motorboating Ingrid Pitt. <laughs> yeah, so Trey, we're so happy that you're here. And uh, Trey also has his, you did a, a very comprehensive retrospective on horror movies uh, for 2021 over at Screaming Through the Ages. I'll put the link to the show in general and to that specific episode in the show notes. But check it out. It's awesome. You broke down like the box office and everything and kind of looking at the trends between uh, you know, streaming movies versus theatrical movies. That's been up in the air, obviously, over the last couple of years. So I, I was really cool. I thought how you broke broke all that down. So, oh, thanks, Nathan. I appreciate that. So tonight we're not going to be nearly that, <laughs> not, <laughs> not nearly that structured or together. Oh. But what we are going to do is uh, talk about our our top tens for twenty twenty one. What I wanted to do is take a moment though and let everybody kind of go around and just give me your impressions about the year in general because i think i had some impressions about the movie year as it was going along and then uh when you're trying to cram in these last minute movies and watch as much as you can and kind of get an overview of it i felt a little bit differently um so trey let's go ahead and start with you Uh, your maybe overall general thoughts about 2021 as a movie year yeah i think first and foremost the big tentpole theatrical movies kind of made their return, especially later in the year. Um, So I think there was an influx of those. It seemed like every week there was something or multiple movies like coming out at the theater at the same time. And I think we had a big return to that. And then also just bigger profile movies coming out on streaming services like Netflix. Um, I'm sure we'll get into some here later tonight, but I think that's, at the same time we're getting these big theatrical releases, we're also getting big streaming releases as well. So I think it came together to be a pretty good year in the end. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And you're right. It, because of the way that the pandemic had impacted everything as far as release dates go, the summer ended up being more sparse than you would expect. And October was like a treasure trove of giant movies that I've been waiting for for years. And they're all coming out in the same weekend. It's like, and they're all long. So I'm like, I can't possibly see Dune (laughs) and the French dispatch and last night. in Soho all on the same day, even, you know? Yeah. And that unfortunately led to a lot of problems with returns too, though. Yes. Yeah. I suspect there's going to be some movies end up on our list tonight that, bombed at the box office mostly because i just don't think they were able to find their audience amongst such a crowded 
period of time where you had big certain franchise titles coming out that everybody had been saying for at least the past two years, I got to see that movie. I have to see that movie, you know? And uh, it, it crowded out movies that they probably hadn't even heard of until maybe a month earlier. So, um, Bill, how about your thoughts on 2021 as a movie year? 2021 is a movie year. I enjoyed it. I, I I have a tough time like comparing year to year to year because there's always good movies. There's always movies that disappoint and there's always movies that are just on the bottom of your shoe. So it, it's one of those things being in Ontario here, the theaters were shut for good chunks of time. So I didn't see much in the way in the theater, but that allowed me to catch up on the streaming side of it. So I watched more, way more on the streaming than I normally do. But it's interesting for this list being, you know, the top 2021 non-horror. I My final running total, I think, was like 428 movies seen or something for the year. Mm. Uh, the number that I saw that were for 2021 all across the board were going into the 150s. The amount of movies I saw that were non-horror, you know, that you would put in this list was maybe 45. So I call this list... Movies I watch with my wife on the couch. <laughs> because, because essentially that's what these are. You know, we, she likes the, you know, a certain type of film. I'm more on the other side. So we had to always compromise on things that we watched. So a lot of these are ones that after flipping through Prime, Netflix, whatever it is, uh, we came across these or Jen had said, oh, my girlfriends were talking about this one. Or I read an article about that one. And okay, whatever, I'll watch it. And so I got a lot of those. <laughs> so yeah. I, it made this list interesting, but in a certain way, I loved this list because I was fine with the sci-fi and the horror list. There's a bit of pressure on me because, you know, I'm the horror guy. I have to have, this is just a fun list. So I have no qualms. My list is nowhere near as deep as all you guys. But at the same time, I like my list. So I'm really curious. You guys are going to have certain films I know, and I just know I haven't seen them. And I know at some point I will get to them. Like it took me six months to see Godzilla versus Kong. That's just how long it took me. So I know there's about 15 of them that I still need to see that I haven't. But the ones I got in between, eh, I like them too. So, hey. And Bill, you know what dawns on me? I As we were talking – did you get to the movies at all? In because I know everything was kind of shut down sporadically here and again. Did you go to the movies all in twenty twenty one? Like to the theater? The only the only theater uh, films I got to was a reshowing of Empire Strikes Back, which was in twenty twenty, mm-hmm. I believe. That was even in twenty twenty. I don't think yeah, I got yeah, to one think, this year. Yeah. I was yeah, going there too. No. That's what I came up with. Going, oh, I saw. Emp- oh, I think that was twenty twenty because that's what yeah. I remember seeing. So I, I, I didn't. Yeah. We we had plans too, and then they shut again. Yeah, and so. Uh, like I couldn't even see Scream Five, so it's a thing of you know I I I think there's an ass mark on the couch <laughs> just from me sitting and watching. <laughs> nice. Well, that that is the so. there's your proof. That's too much. my 2021, 2021 movie is summed up by that imprint on the couch. Very very nice, Victor. How about you? Uh, yeah, very similar story to Bill's, but um, I. Uh... I did. I did see one movie in the theater in 2021, and that was Dune. Uh, but absolutely everything else I saw at home. And um, man, I gotta tell you guys, 
this was a fantastic year for me. Like this was the year that really revitalized my faith in the music and in the movie industry that um, it could create original content. Um, I, there were many movies that I saw that really uh, blew me away. So I can't wait for this show and see how it um, spools out. But uh, yeah, a lot of great stuff released last year and uh, I am into it. Yeah, I've, I'm, I have to agree with that. I thought 2021 was a really strong year for movies. I think one of the things that uh, something, Trey, you mentioned earlier, there were a lot of mainstream movies coming out, a lot of mainstream movies that I actually enjoyed. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm usually looking at that whole slate of sequels and, you know, follow ups and spin offs and everything and just sort of cringing. And <laughs> this year, this is a lot of them surprised me taking characters that I've known for years and years and years and doing something un- uh, interesting enough that, you know, like, oh, I'll, this adds to the character, it doesn't really take away with it. Or it's not just a shrug, like, okay, you know, I expected that. There were some, some uh, really interesting things going on there. But th- you're right, like the streaming services. Uh, stepped up with bringing lots of different things. And now the idea that a streaming service can bring you a movie that feels like it would be a big release, you know, even maybe some of the movies that make my list. I remember uh, like, you know, 4th of July weekend, usually that's when you've got a big summer, turn your brain off blockbuster. And, and for me, it was Netflix released a movie called the tomorrow war. I remember sitting on the couch with my family, watching that and having just a perfectly fine time with it thinking, Hey, you know, Normally, we're just shelled out about $50 to watch this mm-hmm. kind of thing. And yet it had been made specifically for that that niche, but with no less stars, no less special effects, that sort of thing. Uh, that was happening kind of all across the board. HBO Max had done its its kind of deal where you did get to see things like Kong vs. Godzilla Dune, even. And it was interesting, I think, to see that the... And Trey, you pointed some of this out on your episode of your horror movies, that some of these movies still made some money. Uh, even though they were being released in dual formats. So some of them suffered, but there's questions of whether they would have, you know, a movie might like, like Malignant, even though I really enjoyed it, might have also had never found its niche, particularly when it's released along so many other movies. Uh, you know, the, the last Matrix movie in a crowded marketplace and people weren't as enthralled about it. You know, some of these movies probably would have still done what they had done. But uh, another thing that I really enjoyed, you know, it's a side aspect of the pandemic and, you know, the ripple effects that uh, that contribute to it. You know, you can probably look at them as some positive and some negative. But for me, one of the things I did enjoy was the opportunity to attend some film festivals that I never would have been able to attend before. Uh, something like Sundance. Uh, back when I was a critic, I got invited to go to Sundance. I had two very young children at the time. Uh, and they were in those years there, they were either one was just being born or, you know, we had infants. So I never got a chance to go out to Sundance and just sort of hear about it from afar. And uh, both in 2020 and in uh, or rather in 2021 and just now in 2022, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to buy tickets and watch from my home. And there were a lot of film festivals, Chattanooga Film Festival. Uh, there's a, a couple other film festivals that popped up. And you could actually sort of still have that experience and see movies that you wouldn't see. So I think streaming is really coming to its own and it's managed to find a niche for movies aside from making them into television shows. I mean, television's awesome. And, and what, what television has become through streaming 
is great too. I mean, there, I, I almost want to do a separate episode to talk about stuff like midnight mass and things like that, that don't quite fall into the, it's a movie category, you know? Um, but, but we're no less great, I think in their way, but we're here to talk about movies. So I say, let's go ahead and get started. We're going to do the top tens first. And then afterwards we'll share our honorable mentions. So number 10, Trey, you want to share your number 10 movie of 2021? Yeah, absolutely. So this was probably the most contentious spot for me, um, just because I was wrestling back and forth with like three movies. I wasn't sure what quite to, they were all pretty equal, but I wasn't sure what to put here. Um, what ended up on there is a movie that Bill actually recommended to the group. And I didn't know if this was going to make the list, but it did. Um, streaming on Netflix, it was The Door Into Summer. So probably give just a quick background on this since it's probably not as well known, but it's uh, this guy who's really good at working with robotics. Um, he has falls on some hard times and he decides to cryogenically freeze himself for 30 years. Um, well, some more bad things happen and he kind of spends um, his time trying to get back and save his sister and kind of set the world right from all the wrongs. Um, I don't know what it is that quite pulled me in with this movie, but I think I just got attached emotionally to the characters and there's some cool science fiction type of elements in here. And yeah, I just ended up really enjoying it. And I think Netflix has done a really good job of pulling in some films from Asia that we normally wouldn't see. So this one's from Japan and yeah, I just really liked the door into summer. Very cool. I still haven't gotten a chance to see it, but I'm super excited to see it. Bill had told me about it as well. And uh, based on, on what you're saying, Trey, it sounds like it'd be right up my alley. Uh, and I, I kind of love those sorts of movies where you start playing about in time and things start to get sort of out of control. And yeah. uh, it, it sounds like it's uh, it'll be a lot of fun. And it's cool that it's streaming on Netflix. So, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And Bill, how about your number 10 movie? Number 10, number 10. This one, I, I had, uh, I, like Trey, I was bouncing around a couple different movies to try to stick in here. Here's kind of how I made my list. If it stuck with me, if I enjoyed it, if I can remember it more than two weeks after I watched the film, it had a chance. But ultimately, it's a gut check. What did I enjoy watching? Because I'm not one that goes into what the critics say or necessarily care what anybody else says. I, I want to make my own decision. So for number 10 is one of my prototypical sit on the couch, hold my wife's hand and hope this movie is good. And I enjoyed it. And it's nothing that's going to shock, you know, the, the movie world and what it presents. But I thought it did it pretty well. And that's 2021's The Vault. And The Vault was a Netflix film. And it's the description on IMDb, pretty bland. Follow a genius engineering graduate who is interested in the Bank of Spain's safe. Uh, <laughs> I'll go with something better. There's a, the actor who plays the main character's name is Freddie Highmore. And Freddie Highmore is like an engineering genius. And he's getting courted by all these large multinational companies to come join their firm to help deal with, you know, the, their oil or deal with their various companies and see how his engineering prowess can help them out. Meanwhile, he gets this text to meet somebody at a restaurant. And 
turns out it's somebody that has another opportunity for him. And they realize his ability to work with numbers as an engineer is quite strong. And they wonder if he wants to join their team. Now, their team wants to steal the vault, what's in the vault in the Bank of Spain. And it's got this really intricate problem that nobody's ever been able to solve. This is kind of like the gold standard of how to, uh, sorry, a gold standard of the type of problem that if you're going to crack a big one, this is the one to crack. So there's dynamics within the team of who's this interloper who's just been joined in, who's this 21-year-old kid who's going to try to do something that we've been trying all our life to do. And it becomes a bit of a, I love a good heist film. Uh, This year was actually particularly strong in heist films. Uh, This was my favorite of the year. It gets into a little bit of romance because one of the people that lured him in is Astrid Burgess Frisbee, plays an an actor, a character called Lorraine. And they eventually do, using many different disguises and technology, get into the Bank of Spain. And then it's the security who's trying to track them down, a police officer that's trying to track them down, and an ingenious way of solving the problem. I'm purposely keeping it a bit vague because I want you to watch. But I ended up enjoying it. It's a great popcorn flick. Uh, It might make you think a bit more than certain other ones, only because the problem is a pretty complex one. But they do Hollywood it up a bit. So I don't know if any of you guys watched The Vault. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, I liked it too. Yeah, what was like as I say, it's not going to blow the world away, but it was an enjoyable watch. eh? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, it's it's a great action sort of yeah action heist, and um, yeah, decent performances. It's there's nothing groundbreaking, but there's a lot of interesting character development, uh, and uh, and I and I do like the 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 main sort of the the thing that they have to overcome to complete the heist, uh, which is I that I had never seen before. Um, that was unique and cool. And that's where his mathematical prowess comes in. Right. Yeah. This one is still sitting in my watch queue. A uh, bill. Quick question: Is this like a uh, content wise? Is this an appropriate like to show a family or could be shown to a family? Is it like a yeah there's PG thirteen esque? Yeah, PG thirteen ish. Like I, I don't think there's a sex scene. I, there might be minimal swearing. Uh, there might be a few gunshots and things. But yeah, you could. You know, I don't think there'll be anything that's if they can sit and watch Evil Dead or something, they can sure as heck watch that. <laughs> yeah, I should. Yeah, I should ask. I guess there's a difference between a Bartleball family appropriate movie and a regular family appropriate movie. For all the rest of you listeners, Bill says it sounds like it's okay for you guys too. Uh, <laughs> like, like, like to put it into to put it into perspective, Nathan, you could watch with Jen, yeah. and she would enjoy it as much as we could. Yeah, and I, I, I've been getting my kids slowly into like the heist style movies, and this sounds like it would be a fun one to to do. So. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, very cool. I look forward to seeing it. Alrighty, so I guess Victor, what do you have, buddy? Oh yeah, um, for my number ten, uh, I have an Indian movie called J Beam. Uh, it's on. It's it's spelled J A I. B H I M two words. And, uh, and what does that translate to? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but um, 
it's about the plight of the Tamil people, which is they're, they're sort of a um, a people that used to have a more a much more dominant role uh, on the Indian continent, and um, you know they were pretty famous for hunting, but obviously with the uh, rise of technology, uh, they've been kind of phased out, and uh, now they're kind of. Uh, approaching untouchable status in India, uh, you know, the the caste system there. So the movie is about this righteous attorney uh, named Chandru uh, who defends a tribal uh, Tamil man uh, in this uh, false arrest. This is apparently based on a true story. It's directed by T.J. Gnanavel. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm, in fact, I'm sure I'm not. Um, but uh, this guy is basically the Indian Martin Scorsese. Like, uh, he, um, keeps the camera moving constantly. Um, it is almost, uh, hypnotic, uh, and, um, it's a really solid, well put together film. It's a bit long, but, um, almost family friendly. I think there may be some harsh, uh, brutality scenes, um, but it's pretty clean, uh, and, um, yeah, one thing uh, apparently Indian cinema does uh, are, you know, every time like a character smokes or drinks, they flash the government mm-hmm. warning on the screen. <laughs> like, <laughs> by the way, this is bad for you, you know. Um, yeah. So it was a little distracting at first, but then I got used to it. So anyway, it's it's a righteous attorney story. Um, the guy is basically a superhero, but he has, you know, human level powers. Uh, but he's always shot from below, like, you know, so he looks like a god. And, uh, you know, um, he is obviously coming to save the day. He's always right. And um, it, it's uh, it's a very entertaining movie. So, uh, yeah, it, it it narrowly edged out uh, some films I'll, I'll mention later to, to take the number 10 spot. So I gave it an 8 out of 10. And um, I, I think it very competently does a, a perfect job of what it wants to do. Uh, so if you don't mind many montages of of music, you know, set to music of uh, attorneys accomplishing stuff and uh, getting ready for trial and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> you will love this. Um, and uh, it, it is, since it's set in India, um, it does have sort of a different feel than all, almost all the other films I saw. Uh, so that was kind of cool, too. So there you go. That's my number 10. And if you're an attorney, it sounds like you do want to see this movie, maybe just for an uplift. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some morale boost, maybe. So he's the, he's the John Larroquette of India? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, Night Court and the Night Court reference. It's awesome. Right, right, right. Um, this director, uh, TJ, I, again, Nenavel, I had seen one of his movies in 2011. He did a movie, uh, Panem, which was following a sort of hijacking of a flight. And you and it was it was very well made. It was an action kind of thriller. It does uh, it. You do have to kind of jump through all those Bollywood hoops. You never get away from the musical montages, the big mm-hmm. flashy where everybody thinks they're Michael Bay. <laughs> the camera yeah. spins around. There's a sunset, even though it's like, you know, the middle of the day. Um, it's all it's all very cool. I, I one time saw them do a, uh, a Bollywood version of Reservoir Dogs. And it was the same deal. It was still a musical. It still had, oh, you know, wow. those sort of like over. uh overly dramatic moments but you get swept up in these kinds of things if it's done right and so i'm definitely gonna put this one on my list and i'm super excited because we've been number 10 and i haven't seen any of the three movies that you guys have mentioned (laughs) which to me is awesome because now i've got three movies 
three movies to see. And I may be continuing that trend of sort of the of the of the deeper cuts uh, with a movie called Nine Days. My number ten movie is Nine Days, and it's the feature debut of uh, director Edson Oda, and it's a very interesting film. It ha- it, it begins with a sort of uh, it begins with a concrete setting. You're in the middle of the desert. There's this sort of uh, small little office uh, from the outside. It kind of just looks like a shack, like a clapboard house sitting out in the middle of this kind of undefined desert. And people sort of come wandering up and find their way into this. And inside of this office, uh, you have Will and Kayo, played by Winston Duke, who... Uh, many people may know of he was in the Black Panther film. He was also most recently, I don't know most recently, but he was in the movie Us. Uh, he played uh, the husband in Us. And uh, Kai was played by Benedict Wong. So you have these two really awesome, I think, character actors who are here doing the, this this job. They're watching video screens and they're watching videos of uh, various people doing different things. And you're not quite sure what's going on. And you realize that both Will and Kayo they're wherever they're situated we're not sure exactly where they're situated but the midst of this desert what they're watching on screen are people living on earth they are not on earth uh these are souls that they have sent to earth through a screening process and the people coming through this desert that find their way to this office are new souls that want an opportunity to basically be born into the world to uh get to have that mortal life experience, but not everybody gets to do that. You have to go through a nine day screening process in order to achieve this. And essentially this screening process is demonstrated through a lot of, uh, this is a very talking movie, a lot of conversations that uh, both Duke and Wong sort of put, put these characters and these people through their paces. And so what we end up learning is who these souls think they are. Uh, versus what they think they will be when they get to Earth. And you watch Duke, who has some of these people, he's hand-selected, he's watching this violinist and uh, who's already on Earth, and he gets to see videos of her successes and then moments where uh, her 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 trials and her tribulations, and he gets to see all these things. And he himself, we're, we, we know that he at one point was on Earth, that he was a living person and now has been chosen or recruited to do the job he's doing now. And what makes this movie really fun is then the people coming through this new uh, set of candidates. Tony Hale is one of them. Bill Skarsgård is one. You have Ariana uh, Ortiz, David Rysdale, and uh, Zazie Beetz, who ends up striking up a much closer friendship with Duke's character. This is a really fascinating and interesting movie. I think movies like this that deal with sort of metaphysical conceits can kind of go haywire or get very schmaltzy sometimes uh you don't always get a movie like uh corita's afterlife from 1998 which is wonderful in its own way or a movie like defending your life you know oft times these things for me they kind of go off the rails and make it a little hallmarky this one is a very interesting very observant uh a lot of tones of science fiction it deals with what is humanity what is humanity to the individual and how do we define living you know what what matters to us and when we set out to live, how do we measure our successes and our failures and things like that? And it deals with these really big high end questions, but it does so in a really matter of fact way. What I was really impressed for a first time feature is he makes you care about these characters and what they're doing in this moment. And particularly Duke really anchors it. I think Winston Duke's a terrific actor. I don't really feel previously that he'd really gotten his due. And here you get to see his kind of full range of, 
uh, ability, and it's awesome. And his interaction, his chemistry with Beats particularly, and his, his chemistry with Wong, it's fascinating to watch. I love this movie. I think this is this isn't going to be very you know off times movies. My wife is like, "Why are your movies so dark?" This is <laughs> this is a refreshing change from that. This is not a dark film. It's a contemplative film. It has some melancholy moments, but also has some hopeful moments. And uh, I really really liked it a lot. Nine nine days. It's currently I don't think it's on any streaming service for free, but you can rent it for a few dollars at most most places like Amazon and and things like that. Voodoo. Neat. Nathan, that sounds, sounds cool. really cool, yeah. I was going to say, um, Nathan, would you consider this fantasy? Yeah, fantasy, sci-fi. Uh, fantasy, probably, Bill, in the sense that this doesn't have any very specific sort of science fiction element to it. It keeps its uh, concept relatively vague uh, in, in terms of where exactly are they, how do these souls go there, what, why is this process in place, it's really a vehicle to tackle the concepts of, of, of humanity and what it means to us. Uh, again, uh, the movie Afterlife from 1998, I know it's a very little seen movie. In that one, people who had died were coming to the afterlife. And these people, their job was to take one memory and turn it into a film that this person would take with them and then carry on into the afterlife with. Is their one memory they got to hold on to. So when this kind of movie is done really well, it's captivating. And for me, it, it was. Um, there were so many great movies this year, and this one just kept sticking with me. So that's nice. great. And did they go over the uh, the screening process? What exactly? You know, you yeah, that's the bulk time? of the film. That's why I didn't want to mention too much about okay. the bulk of the okay. film. Okay. Is this new group of people coming to? Uh, you get to see what uh, Duke and Wong are doing, and then you get to see it through this process. So the bulk of the film is this group of people in this one setting having conversations, really. And it's far more compelling than that idea of watching people have conversations sounds. That's awesome. I'm going to add that to my list, Nathan. And it seems like Zazie Beats is kind of everywhere right now. She is. And I, you know, I feel like with each performance, I find her more and more interesting. I mean, I thought she was great. I think when I initially saw her, uh, I actually think I might have seen her in a movie called Slice first, uh, like a horror movie oh, involving pizza delivery. The pizza one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the pizza one. And then <laughs> yeah, shortly yeah. after that, she showed up in Deadpool too, and right. uh, but she's a, she's a very good actress. Yeah, I yeah, think I, the... I haven't seen I haven't seen Slice in what's oh, two years yeah. old. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The great thing about a movie like this is you're taking character actors that you normally see. As the side, you know, all of these people have been a side character in a Marvel film, I believe, you know, almost all these yeah. people. And so you're bringing all the side, you know, Duke and Wong and Beats of all, but you know, so now you get to uh-huh. see them together without those the superhero accoutrements. They know they're not required to have a fight scene in 20 minutes. And it's just wonderful. <laughs> Although I'm not sure Zazie Beats had a fight scene in Deadpool 2 now that I'm thinking back about it. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> No, I don't know. There was the yeah. <laughs> but you get you, you get the you get my my uh, my I drift. Get your drift. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how about number nine for you, uh, Trey? Yeah, um, number nine was something I saw very early in the year at the theater. I had no expectations going into this movie, and it kind of just I don't want to say it blew me away, but it kind of beat out all my expectations, <clears throat> and that is nobody. Um. So the thing I like about Nobody is you kind of get this John Wick style film, but it's kind of this everyman type of dude. Um, And even when they're doing these 
ridiculous fight scenes like there's a scene on a bus um you can see that bob odenkirk is kind of feeling every hit and that he's not just getting up and taking down you know 15 guys by himself he's really getting hurt and beat around pretty well um but there's some good black comedy in nobody um that i really like some very subtle stuff and you get to see you know when they get close to the end, you'll get to see like Christopher Lloyd and Riza kind of team up with Bob Odenkirk. And that's just really awesome. So yeah, I just really enjoyed nobody. Yeah. It was quite the enjoyable experience. I, yeah. I thought it was one enjoyable popcorn movie. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I think Odenkirk really sort of brings it into its own, you know, like I can see that movie not working as effectively with someone else. And I love seeing Christopher Lloyd, in this in yeah. the, in this role, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it also has the probably my favorite licensed music use of <laughs> last year, which is uh, Edwin Starr's uh, "Show Enough." I like the sound of funky music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just love the fact, like when they use like really triumphant music, and then you know the guys are cruising along, <laughs> and something really awful happens. <laughs> Yeah. like it that just busts me up every time yeah it's great i mean there's a gag later on i think when it's like there's a number hanging up for days since last accident and the bullet hits it and knocks it down so yeah 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 what i liked about this year we had a couple we've we're out far enough now from john wick being this really successful kind of formula that i like we're getting the sort of not anti john wicks but movies that are set up to cash in on if you like john wick you'll like this but they're not really that thing <laughs> You know? Yeah, yeah. And there's yeah, a there's yeah. a couple there's another one I'm specifically thinking of. Um and this this is one where it still plays basically in that formula, but it does so with a very a very light touch. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yep. Which I really liked. Um yeah. Bill, how about your number nine? Number nine, number nine, number nine. <laughs> uh my number nine is one Nathan, I know for a fact you've seen. Uh we talked about it, oh I don't know, seven, eight months ago on this podcast. And it's one that when I saw, I had so much fun with it. It's completely up my alley. It wouldn't shake me. I had to get it on this list. It's a documentary called I'm Too Old for This Shit, A Heavy Metal Fairy Tale. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and for Trey and Victor, who probably don't know it, I found it on Tubi, literally trolling on Tubi. Can you imagine that? Er- he found it on Tubi. <laughs> no, no. But <laughs> not that I found it on Tubi, but I found a quality film. There you Tubi. go. <laughs> <laughs> if it isn't from 1978, then they get kind of sketchy, yeah, right? Yeah. This one is right up my alley. I'll give you the IMDb description. A high school band named Siren, who haven't played in 35 years, discover they have a fan base in Germany due to a demo they put out so many years ago. This film documents their story as they journey to meet the fans they never knew they had. So there's this high school band called Siren. I, I thought they were more in their early 20s. Whatever. They were somewhere down in Florida. They were trying, they were playing the local circuit. Heavy metal was at its peak in the early eighties. They were right there with the hair and the guitar and the look. And they got a record deal together, but one of them kind of did it behind the other's back. They weren't too happy. The band broke up not that long after, but the demo survived. And one of the members got it pressed and sent off. And it really, and in its limited release, it got big in Germany from the crowd there. Because anybody who knows heavy metal knows Europe loves two things, techno music and heavy metal. Yep. 
And so it's got an underground there that simmered for 35 years. And there's this one fan that's over there that would write over to them from time to time. I guess this is obviously pre-internet days. There were fanzines and message boards and things. And they got a hold of uh, the lead singer at the time. And they realized that there's this simmering demand for Siren. I mean, these guys, one guy's, I think, is a computer engineer. Uh, the bands are in various, the members are in various stages of being in their mid to late 40s. And they get back together and they have to go uh, find a drummer and they have to find each other. There's a Blues Brothers element. Let's get the band back together. And then it's their journey when they go to Germany. This fan pays for them to fly over and they play this heavy metal festival. It's kind of like, uh, have you seen the, the documentary about Anvil and their journey to what they were and where they got to? Yeah. This is similar, but on a, a slightly lower scale. But the, the personalities of the, of the people, one of the guys gets lost all the bloody time. Um, mm -hmm. th th you know, they have to deal with a different culture, a different language. Fans they didn't know they've ever seen. They've never been to Germany, but they freaking love their heavy metal. And this band gets over there and they discover this is whole festival and people want to buy their merch. And this guy's like, I don't know if I've had it in my garage for 30 years. I don't, you know, it's just a fun, feel good film. You don't even have to like heavy metal. You just have to like the journey and the humanness of this film. I know Nathan enjoyed it. Uh, what did you think of it, Nathan? It's a fun movie, and Anvil is exactly the movie I thought about. I think the cool thing here about this is uh, it, it, this is a little bit more upbeat. You know, Anvil sort of has a kind of like faux moment of rekindling before it all falls apart again. <laughs> this is that great kind of sense of you put something out there and you so badly want to see it hit, and it, it, it's like that prolonged joy, that prolonged, they, suddenly they find out it's been a hit. They just never knew it in some other place. And I like aspect of it. Like, I don't know uh, if you're like this, but I have songs I recorded off of a college radio station in 1998 that I still have on a, on a cassette that I've never heard anywhere else before. And I, one day I'll find out who these people are and where they went, but I don't know if that'll happen. And this movie kind of taps into that. Like, what if, you know, what if we could find them sort of vibe? Yeah. And Victor, I'm pretty sure this will be up your alley and you'll find it and you'll end up going, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. And, um, you know, it, it kind of, I've been on the other side of that. Like I've, I've had bands that I was super into and then just looked them up. 20 years later and of course you know of course that they you know they, they weren't punks like their whole lives although it seems like they should be in my mind but you know re reading like the the lead woman from clan of zymox is a and a, a you know an accomplished graphic designer or uh, the dude from catherine wheel is rebuilding porsches or Yes. You know, it's bizarre. Um, but but that's that, I would love to see this from the other side of the equation. It's like, hey, the old magic is back. You know, uh, will you will you put the uniform back on and play? You know, it's a very cool idea. The, the other part of this, it was produced by Chris Jericho. Oh, really? The, the yeah. wrestler and the yeah. musician. He's in that band Fozzie that a lot of people mm -hmm. don't realize been around forever and they're fairly successful. Yep. Yeah. So, so you kind of get that, you know, he actually gets interviewed at a certain point. And 
I think it's more the perspective of a musician in it. But yeah, Trey, is this something you'd want to watch? Yeah, I got to check that out. We don't get enough heavy metal movies. And when we do, they're usually like Lords of Chaos and super depressing. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Although I did quite enjoy that film. It is, it is, let's just say tone out. The tonality is very different. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I got to check that out. That's, I'm glad Maybe. you brought that up. I had, uh, I had a great time watching that one. Um, Victor, you're number nine. Oh, yeah. Uh, number nine was Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, now, this is a semi biographical movie about uh, Fred Hampton, who was the leader of the Illinois Black Panthers. Uh, And it's also an expose of COINTELPRO, the counterintelligence program within the FBI, um, because uh, (laughs) this dude um, who is uh, played by Lakeith Stanfield um, is basically a, a criminal and he's recruited by the FBI to go undercover in um, the Black Panthers and uh, find something to incriminate uh, Fred uh, <laughs> Fred Hampton, played by Daniel Kaluuya of uh, Get Out fame. And um, yeah, uh, it's got a great cast. Uh, those two guys, I think, are alone are a good enough reason to see the movie, but... Um, it's also got Jesse Plemons and Dominique Fishback. And, um, yeah, I, I thought it was riveting, uh, because there are parts of history that I never knew that are featured in this movie. And I checked out later and I'm like, oh yeah, that did happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, great, great movie. It's, it's basically a, I guess I'd say a crime drama. Um, but, um, anyway, I think it's available on HBO max and, uh, it is an eight out of 10 in my book. Excellent. It sounds right up my alley. It's a kind of like an investigative th- uh, type of film, crime, serial drama kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I think the yeah, the, the, there's a lot of personal relationship drama because uh, obviously the, the more um, Lakeith's character gets embedded in the Black Panthers, the more he starts to sympathize with them. And uh, and then, of course, he knows that he's going to have to turn around and betray them at some point. So the 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 Judas uh, in the title is very appropriate uh, because that's the way he feels um, when it's time to to do do the job. I didn't get to that one. It was something where I wanted to watch it earlier in the year and I kind of forgot about it and it passed me by. So I got to get to that one. Definitely, Victor. <laughs> this is a great movie. And it's funny because Victor, the. Well, the main reason it's not on my list last year, I think we, I, I was noticing in Phantom Galaxy that we had published our like best movies of the year in like March of last year. So it was a bit in. We're actually way ahead of the curve this year. So we're still in <laughs> January. But I think if memory serves, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah was released very early in 2021. Um, and I, I think February. I saw it. Yeah, I think I saw it so early. And when I was catching up with everything else that I think I relegated it to 2020 as a movie, which it obviously was not, but it's a great movie. And uh, both of those guys are really like great performances. Uh, They always give great performances, but they're so good in this one. And they're both like right on the, it's like they're energized off of each other. Like, and the movie kind of sets it up that way. It's so good. It's, it's a great movie. I really liked it a lot. Uh, And Victor, how was the, the soundtrack? Yeah, it's great. 
Um, the, uh, there's a lot of period music in it, and um, the uh, the bespoke music that the composers uh, made for the film is great too. I, I really I liked it on every level. Um, I don't think it. I mean, I gave it an eight as opposed to a higher rating because uh, it, it it didn't really. Um, an eight for me is just like perfect in every way, you know, but not really mind blowing in any particular moment in addition to that. Um, and, uh, I, I think it, it educated me, entertained me and, um, yeah. And excited me. Uh, didn't so, pay the rent. So, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Didn't walk the dog. Sorry. Sorry, movie. Yeah. Sorry. But some and, of the films Victor, on how, did. how was Martin Sheen or J. Edgar Hoover? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he, he was, uh, maybe not one of the, str- I, I, I mean, I love Martin Sheen as an actor, but, um, uh, he, didn't really remind me of Chandler yeah, Hoover at all. Yeah, kind of a weird. He sticks out. <laughs> yeah, he sticks out. Um, but you know, he's got the name, and yeah, it was a good performance. I mean, I just don't think compared to those other actors that I mentioned, uh, like they really lived those roles. Like you know, it, it really uh, it, it's it's shocking how how different they are from their other performances. Gotcha. Okay, so my number nine. Here's the first tie of the, of the evening. Two seven movies. Way tie? Not a seven way tie. I don't do seven way ties. Bill. I gotta space them out so I can have more than one, right? But uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, this is it. It's interesting because this is from two kind of well known, very respected filmmakers. Uh, two guys that honestly, personally, to me, haven't done anything that sort of you know set my hair on fire in a very long time. And uh, two movies that are really, uh, at their hearts, female-centric. Uh, the first one is Benedetta by Paul Verhoeven. That's a, <laughs> It has everything on the surface that you look and say, yep, that's that's a Paul Verhoeven movie. It has nuns. It has uh, it, lesbianism. It has very strange religious sort of uh, fanaticism and uh, true believer sort of visions and prophecies that also are very crazy in their own ways. Uh, it's telling the true story in the 17th century of uh, Benedetta Carlini, who was a nun. And in this film, she joins a convent and she's from their perspective, like a performer of miracles that she has a connection to God and she sees Jesus, in a lot of different kind of strange uh, variations and, and, uh, her mutations in in her in her mind, and she relays these, uh, and so she's seen initially as a uh, as a miracle worker of sorts, and then uh, the whole social structure there sort of comes down against her because she begins to have this relationship with another one of the the uh, women that's come to the convent. There's a there's a slide plot involving a comet that is sort of in the sky, and so there's a question mm-hmm. of is God's judgment coming down on us? You see the uh, the whole social element of what it means to be who she is, to have this kind of relationship she's having, and seeing her potentially uh, crushed by this system uh, that that sort of wants her out of it, but at the same time, in her perspective, the interesting part is that she does have a true she is a true believer she she embraces god in this specific way and it's a very uh the tight the the, the tightrope walk of verhoven sort of having fun with the material and giving you all the things you expect to see he has the gore he has the sensuality 
uh, at certain points. He has that sort of overblown drama that you expect from the guy that did RoboCop and Starship Troopers, uh, although this film doesn't go quite, you know, to those genre lengths. Uh, and he he really does make, uh, he gives gets great performances uh, from everybody in this film. And um, it's, I think it's, it's an amazing, juicy movie like you would want to see from him, but it really has something to say. I think it hones in on this character and it makes a lot of, a lot of uh, timely statements uh, to things that we assume shouldn't be an issue anymore, but, but still are. We're then and still are. Uh, the other film is Ridley Scott's uh, The Last Duel, which I literally saw just uh, just today. And I've kind of you know, backed off from Ridley Scott a bit over the years. I just feel like he sometimes ends up like a really uh, very visually talented gun for hire. And I wasn't expecting much from this film, but I was really impressed with this. There is a Rashomon feel to this. this is a, another movie based on a true story that involves a uh, the wife of a squire that comes forward and says that she was raped by one of the other squires, and he challenges that squire to a duel. And you think, well, how much of a movie can be made from that? But what we see, and it's done in a very sort of subtle way, is we see the three viewpoints of each of these characters woven together into a film that takes all of them and and brings the woman to the very center of it in an interesting way that isn't obvious immediately, but you have all the things you expect from Scott. I think his filmmaking in the action scenes and in the dramatic scenes and in and in the more quiet uh, person-to-person sequences is stronger than it's been in a long time. There's a, there's a lot less of the shaky cam, a lot less of the sort of overly saturated shots. You kind of just get down to the gritty, uh, dirty atmosphere when you need to in the battle sequences, and you get into these sort of close quarters dramas, and you can feel the kind of suffocation that would come from being... Uh, being a woman in this particular circumstance. Uh, but it's not as heavy-handed as he often has been, I think, of late. And I I loved both of these movies in very different ways, but I think they're great examples of two guys that are known for giving big, high, adrenalized action movies, giving you something with some meat and some substance to think about uh, with, with everything else. And they still give you the stuff you'd think, oh, yeah, these, that's what these guys do. Yeah, I, I love both of those movies. They're both uh, a little further up on my list, um, so I won't say too much about them. But I, I think they're they're both super strong movies, uh, and yeah, totally agree with everything you said. This will be a running theme. No, I haven't seen them, but yes, I think I want to. <laughs> Benedetta Bill is right up your alley. <laughs> they both I are. Benedetta I think, sounds yeah. like a bit of a, yeah. a bit of a nunsploitation. With a little bit of uh, sensuality, a little bit of uh, action, which which it's all up my alley. And Verhoeven, love him or hate him, he's always interesting. But the last duel I haven't seen, I, I just haven't got to it. But I, I was always intrigued by kind of I've heard what is it the a three person perspective, yeah, of the duel. Yeah, and I should and point so out. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say I'm curious how they pull that off. So you know yeah. it's got a, it's got that little bit of a history pull which I have. I mean, I'm sure it's not exactly, you know, perfect to any history, but it's still set in the time period. And the, the POV piece, I think, will interest me. Yeah. You know, one thing I want to say about both of those movies, by the way, is if you're a woman and you're listening to the show and you like gritty period pieces, um, both of those movies are aware of some of the pitfalls of the patriarchy in those times. Um, Very much so, so. I think, yes. Yeah, you'll mm-hmm. find them more advanced than like uh, a lot of <laughs> period pieces that were made in earlier decades. 
I think that's the. I mean, there, there, I was going to say there was no uh, Richard Gear out there fighting. <laughs> you know, first you really night. need to see the last <laughs> yeah, duel uh, because it plays off of that. It plays really Scott and uh, people involved in this. That you know, I know that Matt Damon and uh, uh, Ben Affleck wrote this uh, with 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 others involved, but this isn't goodwill jousting. You know, they actually kind of right. delve into. And deal with some of those things you're mentioning, Bill, the expectations from both of these films, when you hear on the surface what they are, that's why they're so good, is they subvert those things. And they do, uh, with some great performances, they kind of take those movies and twist them uh, to the female perspective, and it's uh, but without losing those things that you would expect to see in the movie. That's the thing. They still are a violent um, medieval film, and they uh, uh, you a kind of a juicy, passionate nun movie. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Trey. Did you see any of these? Do you have any comment on them? Yeah, um, I have not seen Benedetta yet because I was thinking it was horror, so I was saving it down for the list <laughs> after I got through my non-horror stuff. But I'm definitely going to see that one. And yes, I did quite enjoy the last duel. Excellent. Okay. So... All right. So I guess we're at number eight. Yep, Trey, number eight. Yeah. So for my number eight, I've got something um, fresh and new, definitely, and it's the last duel. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah as a history um nerd i definitely love and nathan we were talking a little bit about how i love these period piece like action drama films um and we don't get a whole lot of those um bill to answer your question like the three perspectives and how that works i was very skeptical of that going in but i think ridley scott did such a good job of kind of weaving the events it's not like you're just seeing the same things over and over. You are going to see different events and perspectives. And even if you see the same event happen, it's not necessarily going to play out as it did with somebody else. Um, and of course you get that as the movie says that climactic duel at the end, which is just awesome. And yeah. Um, I don't know what else I have to say about this, but I really enjoyed the last duel. No, the one question I would ask anybody, all, all you guys have seen it. Which of the three sections would you say is the strongest or point of view would be the strongest? Oh gosh. It's kind of hard. Cause it, I kind of got flipped over on my head once we get past the first perspective. Cause I'm like, you're kind of seeing everything as truth in your mind is what you're seeing. And then you're, it's different from every angle. So I don't know. I really enjoyed the first one because it was that fresh perspective, but I think all three, it kind of makes you feel worse and worse as the <laughs> perspectives change. The, the cool thing about this bill that's a little different from like a Rashomon where it is simply like, oh, everyone has a different perspective. This is almost less the different perspective, and it's more like everyone is going to have a different interpretation of the perspective. What's cool about mm -hmm. this is they don't necessarily show you anything completely different, but they show you what each of these people would feel and why it would be in their best interest to think the way they do. Uh, right. No one is necessarily yep. lying except to themselves. <laughs> and yep. I think that's what's really interesting. So there's not that one sec segment is stronger. It's that the movie keeps building itself up and making itself stronger that by the time mm -hmm. the three are done, you're so invested in that, um duel but for completely different reasons than you were at the very beginning <laughs> oh absolutely yeah yeah well yes. Nathan. excellent so for my number eight this is a year where if i didn't want to watch horror sci-fi I, I really did look around to see what looked interesting and i found myself going back more this year than in other years to documentaries 
And one that I obviously talked about was the heavy metal one. And a second one that I watched is my number eight. I looked at it and I was initially a little bit skeptical. And then I went to IMDb and it gets an 8.3 out of 10. And for a uh, documentary to get an 8.3, I'm like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And it ties into probably my one passion that's even bigger than movies. The movie is called Sir Alex Ferguson, Never Give In. It is a movie at one level as Sir Alex Ferguson, the footballer, the coach of Man United, the Scotsman who led the Man U team to the heights of the Premier League and his determination and his family story. The other point of view on this is a very personal one. And it's a, it's a more of the human of him more than the sportsman of him. Because it opens with a quiz about his life. And he knew the precise details of pretty much everything in his life. But he does not remember May 5th, 2018, the day he had a brain hemorrhage. Hmm. And so it, at the same time splicing in his career as a footballer, playing for the Glasgow Rangers and how they lost to Celtic and how in Scotland he was almost banished on the Protestant side because such things happened. And then he goes on and he takes a small club in Scotland, uh, Dundee, and they win the European Championship. And from there, he goes on to Man United. And you get his perspective of having coach Ryan Giggs, Eric Cantona, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you got Ryan Butt, Teddy Sheringham, Beckham, Schmeichel, Cole, York. Anybody who's listening who knows their soccer knows that story. But you also get the perspective of a man who had to overcome many challenges in his life, the determination that he had, uh, things he went through when he first got to Man U, he didn't do so well, and the you know the phone calls and the threats to his townhouse that he was getting his kids were going to school in the community to a man who's reviled to when he gets when he finally retires and his health is good enough he gets a hero's welcome back to the stadium i thought it was a gripping one not just from a sports point of view but from a human point of view Uh, i don't if any of you guys have seen it but does it intrigue you enough to want to watch for certain i would love to see that Yep. Excellent. So you're all going to become football experts and then... I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that, but the movie sounds great. <laughs> yeah, the movie sounds good, but I don't know how, how much you're going to be able to draw me into that, Bill. I'll stick with American football. <laughs> all righty then. So, uh, Victor, what do you got for number eight? Yes, sir. Um, uh, number eight, I had The Hand of God, uh, which is a Netflix... Feature made by Paolo Sorrentino. Um, it is one of the most gorgeous movies I've ever seen. Um, and uh, there is a shot. The, I think it's the very first shot in the movie that is insane. I mean, it, it is like nothing I had ever seen before. And um, this is coming from a career of a guy who makes it his business to put uh, gorgeous shots in everything he does. 
Um, so Sorrentino, um, he, he did a well. He did the series for HBO called The Young Pope, which I liked tremendously, um, and uh, The New Pope, which I didn't like as tremendously, and um, a movie called The Great Beauty, um, yeah. which is set in Rome. But The Hand of God is um, sort of an it's it's a semi autobiographical movie made about himself growing up within his tightly knit family in Naples and um, idolizing uh, the films of Federico Fellini and sort of wanting to become a filmmaker himself. Uh, so that's just the, the basic top level. Uh, but um, the weird cultural uh, Italian things that happen in the family are endlessly entertaining the scenery is just breathtaking i mean you have like local kids playing among the ruins like if you guys have been to italy you know what i'm talking about like the the roman ruins are still standing everywhere including naples and um to have these scenes of like crossroads of life depicted amongst these ruins sort of gives it a very universal feel, even though it's very personal to the director. So you get the best of both worlds. You get like the intense drama of what the guy actually felt at that at those moments in his life. And you also see how that could apply to maybe your own life. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, he, uh, uh, you know, Sorrentino said he was inspired by Alfonso Caron's Roma. Uh, and uh, I can see that. Um but uh, yeah, I highly recommend this. It's on Netflix. It's called The Hand of God. And uh, I gave it an 8 out of 10. This is a great I movie. Say, I, just, I, I just read the description. Uh, it involves football as well. It does. Yeah, Maradona. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> or South American. I guess it would be South American football. Yeah, Sorrentino, is a, he, he is great hand on visuals and the way he structures those visuals and kind of syncs them up with the characters in his films. Uh, you mentioned the great beauty. That was great. I, I even liked, I think made my uh, top 10 a few years back was a movie youth with Michael Caine. Uh, oh, I still uh, haven't seen that. Yeah. That's a good one. He's, he's a great filmmaker and this is a great movie. I, it, it's a testament to how good I think the movies were this year that that one's like just outside of, of my list. Cause I loved it. I mean, it, it's like one of those movies that's uh Kind of, kind of feels like a warm hug, in a good way, like a yeah. positive way. I mean, it's not that the whole movie is happy go lucky, but there's just a really uh, there's a warmth to it that, uh, and I could totally see how he was inspired by Roma. Uh, here he has the benefit, you know, all the the spectrum of colors, and uh, it's a good movie. Totally, yeah, and I mean Sorrentino kind of reminds me of the band U two a little bit in that you know he he seems to like uh, the church and beautiful women equally and put them yes. both in, in yes. his work. It's a weird combination, <laughs> but it's it's unique and it works. It does. It does. It's refreshing. <laughs> um, yes, I I would agree with that, uh, and and that element that through line of the. Uh, that that love of the cinema, that desire to be a filmmaker, uh, and how and that that can be another thing that I think can be totally uh, exploited or mishandled in films. You know, where movies pe people make movies about movies or about movie making, but when it's done right, it can be really effective as as it was in that film, and as I think it is in my number eight movie, 
which is The Labyrinth of Cinema that was technically released in Japan in 2019, but didn't get a theatrical release here until October of 2021. It's directed by the late uh, Nobuhiko Obayashi. Now, uh, he's got a long and storied career. The movie he might be most famous for is a 1977 movie called Haosu or house, which is a kind of very psychedelic (laughs) sort of wild surrealistic horror movie. Um, Obayashi in 2016 was diagnosed with terminal cancer. He was just then he, he he passed at 82 in 2020. So he's on the cusp of his eighties. He's diagnosed with terminal cancer and he does what the rest of us would do. Makes two more movies between 2016 (laughs) and 2020. (laughs) And the very last of them was this film, The Labyrinth of Cinema. And it is, it's amazing. It's quirky. It's strange. It's no less surreal than what he did before. Um, I'm going to read you the the synopsis they have on Letterboxd and get into it a little bit. But it's a movie that's really about um, experiential, kind of feeling it. And thinking that this was his last movie and the things that he wants to say and that he wants to do. And he, he wants to tackle these big topics. Uh, the movie that comes out of, it's just amazing and strange and wonderful. J- just like he was. Uh, here's the plot synopsis. The only movie theater on the Onamichi seafront is about to close its doors. It's last night of screenings will be an all night marathon of Japanese war films. When lightning strikes the theater, three young men in the audience find themselves thrown back in time into the world inside the screen. And the three young men and there's a young girl and they both, they all end up transported in the film, but this isn't the last action hero. Okay. Uh, because <laughs> if you've seen how you know that Obayashi is a very um, idiosyncratic filmmaker <laughs> to say the least. And he even sort of interjects himself in the opening scenes and he's sort of in a, in a spaceship floating through space and there's even a piano that drifts by him, maybe a reference to the piano from Halsu, I don't know. It drifts by him and it's playing the the funeral march, the dun 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 dun, dun on the piano, mm. drifting in but inside he's he's in the bubble of the spaceship surrounded by fish who are speaking to him and talking to him about the history of cinema <laughs> and the wonders of life. <laughs> and this movie, what's wild is when they get inside of this, they he really begins a commentary. Uh, they're they're thrown back into right before the bomb, the, the bomb in Hiroshima, and yet they're in these films. So they're in every conceivable kind of Japanese war film, and they're seeing Japanese war films juxtaposed against Japanese history. So they're experiencing, hey, this is the way that the war was, and this is the way that the war has been. It, it, it's a commentary on all the tropes that end up in Japanese cinema. They're in samurai films. They are in war movies and war from the perspective of, wait, are we the hero or are we not the hero? And these four characters walk through and interact. It's such a strange kind of movie that I don't think would have even worked had anyone else tried to do it with with any other sort of culture or, or director. I, I don't even know why it works exactly. But I was fascinated it from, from it from the very beginning to the very end. Much like how Sue, it sort of washes over you. And here he's really trying to make a statement about about peace, about what is it in 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 the in the in the human heart, particularly when we get to films and the creative experience. What is it that we do with these experiences that are dark and tragic and hurtful? And how can how can the movies and our art sort of restore them and redeem them? It's amazing. I uh, there were moments when I'm like, should I be rolling my eyes? Should I be laughing? Should I be crying? I'm not entirely sure. Mm. It's fascinating to think that it. I would love this movie no matter who had made it, but the fact that 
he, this was his last film. Uh, it's kind of incredible to see someone just cramming as much as and, and getting it on screen. You know, I think I would attempt something like this and it would be a disaster. <laughs> and this is uh, it's wild, though. You're, you you might watch the first 10 or 15 minutes and be like, man, Nathan, Nathan threw me under the bus. But uh, I think that the overall feeling once you get through this movie is it's amazing. I had never seen it. And the perspective it casts on the film and its love of film, I've just never seen anything done quite like this. So the labyrinth of cinema, it's, um, it may be available in different places. I know that right now there's a streaming service called Mubi, M-U-B-I, not Tubi. Uh, and it's, it's on there right now. There you do have to pay a subscription, but they have, if you are into art house cinema, they have a lot of great stuff on there right now. Uh, you can get the free trial, watch this and a lot of other movies, uh, including they put, uh, Terrence Malick's The Voyage of Time that was an IMAX kind of movie that hasn't even released here in the States uh, is on there as well. So I recommend this highly. It's a great movie. If you're a fan of How Sue, I strongly uh, recommend this. That sounds great. It sounds great. A little bit of sci-fi, a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of uh, war movie. And if it's got sensibilities of How Sue. Oh boy. It's Stop wild. In. It's just like, it, that's the, that's the thing. I love a movie where it's like, I can't explain it. Just find it and watch it. And then you come tell me why I was wrong, but you know, or whatever, or now, tell me why it's your favorite one, movie. Sorry, Nathan. The one thing I did notice is it's, it's just a hair under three hours. So does it seem like you're three hours in, or is it one of those ones that blows by for three hours? See, we've had this discussion on the last podcast and I feel if a movie's engaging you, the time sort of flies by. And a lot of the movies on my list this year are on the longer side. But I thought that these movies, uh, la the the last duel we just talked about is on the longer side. But they utilize that time. They don't really, there's no time for fluff. Uh, Labyrinth of Cinema is so all over the place. It's moving from one thing to one thing to one thing to one thing that you feel it's so hyperactively done that honestly, Bill, until you just mentioned it, I didn't even realize it was quite that length. Um it, I'm not saying it feels like a, whoa, that was 90 minutes, but you're, there's just always something going on. And if you're on its, if you're not on its wavelength, it might, it might feel tedious. But to me, I felt, uh, it was, it was so hyperactive. It took me from one place to the next place, to the next place. And I, it was, look at this, look at this, look at this. And I was into it. Awesome. I definitely want to check it out. I just have to be able to find it somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. my problem. I had that on my list and I was having problems finding it. So I'm glad you said where it was. Yeah, I'll put a link there too. But um, it's uh, and if you're into art house uh, movies, I just got the I got it specifically to watch this and, and a couple other movies. And it's it's really cool. It's got it's like, you know, it's like, oh, well, if the Criterion channel isn't obscure enough for you. <laughs> let me introduce <laughs> you to movie. But they're putting a lot of stuff on there that I don't think is even available anywhere else or is even released here. So if you're into finding foreign like gems, that's probably the place to go. Hmm. All right. Awesome. So on to number seven. Trey, what do you have for number seven? Um, so for number seven, it's a little weird. Again, I think I've got a recurring theme of like these last few movies I had very little expectations for. And this is a sequel um, that I had was kind of burnt out on. There had been um, a couple of movies based on this. There had been some animated movies. There was a video game coming up and all of Escape these Room? Is it Escape Room? <laughs> it's Escape Room, Bill. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a genius. <laughs> uh, no, but this, um, this comes from a director that I'm fond of, and it's James Gunn, and it's The Suicide Squad. Um, 
I was not a fan at all of the other two <laughs> Suicide Squad movies, although I am a fan of, or I was kind of a fan of the characters. Like I said, I kind of got burnt out because I felt like they were everywhere. Were there two other movies? Um, there were. There were the Suicide Squad, and then there was Harley Quinn. Oh, that's uh, right. Okay, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I blanked on that title. one. <laughs> Birds of Prey. Yeah. I forgot that was not a, a movie. Good movie. <laughs> not a good movie. Um <laughs> But yeah, so I think James Gunn takes this and he kind of reinvigorates it. And the humor that's in here, I don't think it's like a Marvel type of humor where it's like quick one-liners that you're going to get tired of on a second watch or something like that. Um, I think there's some good humor here. I think there is some decent action, but the whole thing's ridiculous and absurd. It's not like a normal high-stakes superhero movie. Um, it just kind of has fun. And that's what James Gunn does a lot with his film. So I was happy to see he injected some of that with the Suicide Squad. <laughs> I'm not laughing at your choice. I'm chuckling as I remember all the things that happened to this movie. Yeah, um, it's pretty great. Especially the villain is incredible. Uh, uh, yes, yes, yes. I want a David Lynch polka dot man movie. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. there's yeah. a scene when they're in a bar and they show the perspective of what he sees. And it's like madness. It's like a small david lynch movie in about a like 40 seconds it's amazing yeah. and it's a well, lot of moments thing. like that <laughs> what's the other thing is like you actually kind of like these characters that they build up and they're so offbeat and quirky that you really kind of kind of enjoy being with the characters and it's not super serious or anything like that yeah and i haven't seen any yeah. of the peacemaker series although my first thought was wow they took the guy i liked the least and made a series around him but yeah <laughs> yeah i like john cena but i mean i get oh uh, i haven't given it a chance yet so i'm looking forward to seeing it Same. yeah now i, I was gonna say i'm not a superhero guy i didn't read the comics but you do make it sound really good you and nathan is it something i could just walk into watch and still get something out of yeah, yeah but not not with it's your a... daughter no oh okay. oh okay no it's very much yeah um but bill no like I said, it was a sequel, but really the only tie to the other movies is kind of mostly gone in the first part of the film. So <laughs> it, you can come in fresh and just be fine with it. Yeah, that opening scene something else. Yeah. It's fun, Bill. You would appreciate it. It's a it's got a very subversive, sarcastic and um, naughty sense of humor. So you'll uh, you'll get a kick out of it. It's <laughs> right up my alley. It Yeah, it's basically uh, playing off of superhero movies more than it is one. Right. Oh, okay. All right. So, like, is is this something? Is there going to be lunch boxes and? <laughs> oh, you know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, this is honestly so... more offbeat than Deadpool. Deadpool to me was a normal superhero movie, and he was just really sarcastic and talked to the camera. Right. This is legitimately yes. weird. Yeah, and very violent too, if I'm remembering right. Yes, yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. Well, that... I, I, oh, sorry. Sorry. I was, I was just going to say this now goes on my list. It's a, a must-see. Yeah, I, I I think that this movie is going to age really well. Um, it's very layered and complex, and um, it's weird. Like we're we're kind of entering a, a phase of the superhero genre that's like almost post genre. Mm -hmm. uh, and the only thing I could think of that that this kind of reminded me of um, was Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, <laughs> Where it's like the line, like if you listen to the director's commentary on the Big Trouble in Little China disc, there's this line that Kurt Russell was relating going, yeah, I remember sitting in the screening room with the Fox executives. <laughs> One guy was like, I don't get it. He's not that good at what he does, you know, <laughs> and 
<laughs> it's like, yeah, that's the point. Um, but that's exactly what Snyder did. Like he took the most unlikely protagonists and made a great movie out of it. And, and the most unlikely antagonists and put them all together and made it work. It's incredible. Yep. Yes. Except it was gun. Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> gun. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, if it's Snyder, it's a three and a half hour movie. <laughs> In four, three, black and white. Yes. Um. <laughs> but, so for my number eight. Oh, sorry, Nathan, go ahead. No, it was that's where I was going to go. <laughs> oh, but oh, OK. So for my number eight, I will go into one that was already brought up by Trey that I told the group about. And I found it by complete fluke. Again, I was whipping around Netflix looking for something sitting on the couch with the wife, you know, she wants to share the blanket together or whatever. So I'll throw on something that seems a little innocuous, but you know, you'll take a shot at it. And it was the door into summer 2021, obviously. And I won't go over the plot again because um, you guys, uh, Trey went over it already, but it's essentially got elements of sci-fi. It's got elements of, fantasy it's got elements of romance it's got elements of action here i will go over what imdb says an inventor of robotics technology is robbed by his girlfriend and business partner and sent to the future via cryogenic sleep but when he awakes 30 years later he is assisted by a humanoid robot originally his own creation so there's this guy he's pretty smart he works for an engineering team uh, and the owner of the company has passed on the two other partners of the uh, company screw him out of his shares. And they have something in Japan in this movie where you can fast forward 30 years, you lose those 30 years, but you come out of it as the same age as when you went in and he finds his way to work his way back and to kind of make things whole. Let's just put it that way. But as he does all these things, he's got this robot, this quirky robot. It kind of reminded me of Short Circuit in a way. Because you know, like Short Circuit obviously is a, you know, an android kind of robot kind of deal. This guy was basically a human that, with the robotic features to him. And they kind of work together. And I like that. I mean, I know Nathan is a huge fan of time travel movies. And this one has that time travel element. It's got it's got a little bit more personality to it, and it's just an overall nice film. It's a lot of fun. There's playfulness to it. At a certain point, I wrote down it becomes a buddy film with the robot Pete. It it, it really does, but it does kind of get dark at times, and let's just say it has an ending where things kind of what happened at the beginning. You're kind of scratching your head at WTF moment. And at the end, it finally like, ah, okay. Mm-hmm. So I really liked uh, The Door into Summer. If you like that Asian sensibility of, you know, sometimes the Asian films have a little bit of, you just have to hold your suspense and hold your breath and just see how it turns out. And this is one of those kind of movies. I really want to see this. I, that's, I think I'm going to have to try and check this one out Uh uh, tomorrow because i'm i, I just uh, you had mentioned it and i never heard of it until that point and i put it on the list and i just it, i lost it in the shuffle in the last few days there and nathan it's based on a novel by robert heinlein 
I the way you were describing it, I was starting to get the vibe, and I'm not even. I may even know which particular story it is because I was like, this has a very, uh, you know, golden age sci-fi vibe to it. The way you're talking about, it. I'm super excited about it. Yeah, because I know that everybody here, we all love Asian cinema, and mm-hmm. this will be right up your alley. Cool, awesome. So, Victor, what you got, buddy? Yeah, um, number seven uh, was Benedetta, um, and I think we said pretty much everything I wanted to say. I, I just wanted to. Uh, well, I, one thing I want to mention is uh, it's based on a, a 1989 book uh, called Immodest Acts by Judith C. Brown. And if, so if you see the movie and you're really into it, um, that's the source material. And um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, Paul Verhoeven, it, it really, that's one of the, this is one of the movies that really revitalized my faith in, interestingly enough, in movies uh, as art, because um, this is a 70 year old guy mm. who, uh, you know, still has sort of the, um, he still wants to show on screen like things that excited him and me as a 14 year old boy. Um, but he's also insanely, uh, you know, skilled and well uh, and, and intelligent and great at making movies. Um, so just for the sake of it, um, he also goes deep into themes of faith. It's one of the best movies about faith. That's the part that, that blows that my I've mind. Ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's kind of like the sacred and the profane um, happening simultaneously. I think that's what makes it a masterpiece. Uh, like this isn't just fish in a barrel. Let's ta- let's attack the 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 structure and the like. You know the kind of uh, religion structure. He does do that, but you're right. He is it. It, it has pro faith elements. Now I can yeah. think a lot of people that think a faith based film. This is not what they're thinking of, but. No, I mean, and and everything is there. If you if you just want to watch a non exploitation movie, it's it's definitely delivers early on all that stuff, yeah. um, and better but, and uh, better but, than the than the ones that are the, with the great posters. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but then it's interesting enough that it makes you want to stick around, and that's when he hits you with like the philosophical stuff. Um, and, and yeah, w- one of the things he does in this movie is he shows acts of faith with practical explanations or they, they might have practical explanations. So you're like, okay, yeah, maybe that's, that could be what, you know, some people construe as a miracle. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it kind of, um, it, it really, it really, I really enjoyed it. So yeah, I, I gave it an eight out of 10. Yeah, yes. that's interesting. I hadn't heard of Verhoeven for a while. Uh, and so I looked him up and he did a movie called L, which does sound really interesting, but it was back in 2016. Oh yeah. But I, da- yeah. I now notice that he's in pre-production of a TV miniseries and he has two additional films that are, have been announced already. So at his mm-hmm. age, he's at he's least working up. Until he's 73, <laughs> wow. 74. Now one of them is called Hetgeheim van in God Hunwilk. So <laughs> it's in German, obviously. Not a yeah. Starship Trooper sequel, it sounds like. <laughs> no, I can't see Showgirls Four or something. You know? yeah. Oh, but uh, yeah, he seems he seems to be uh, you know back on the hot market again. So good for him. Yeah, yep. yeah. It make a good double feature with uh, Flesh and Blood, which is a yeah. That's a yeah. That's a, one of his early ones. A medieval brutality. Yeah, medieval brutality. That that one's really intense. Um, but well, could yeah. you watch this after RoboCop? 
You could, yeah. sure. I mean, you watch, you watch anything after RoboCop, yeah. technically. But yeah, sure. it should probably. Is, is it a prequel to Showgirls? You'll have yeah. to find out, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would be happier if it's more in the vein of Alucarda. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. I haven't um, seen Alucarda yet. It's oh, you've never uh, seen Alucarda. Oh, nope. you gotta watch that. Gotta yep. get on that, Victor. I know. Yep. I'm for it. It's hard to find. I veered us off to a non-exploitation. I better rear us back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so yes. (laughs) What is my list again? (laughs) Uh, My number, we are on number seven. Yep. Yep. Okay. My number seven movie is Dune. I'm actually surprised it's kind of like so low on the list. I was mm. also surprised. Yeah. So, so let me say, is this the one where they go get some spice? Is that the- yeah, that's right. <laughs> Bill, Bill says like, you're like, is a Polytrace just needs to get some spice. I was like, that's the most like, like razor thin plot description of Dune that I've ever heard. And not entirely accurate, but whatever. Um, I love this movie quite a bit. And I, the thing is, again, there were so many good movies this year. Uh, Denny Villeneuve, to me, and you can hear about this in, in not the last episode, but the episode before, we did kind of a deeper dive and we talk about Dune. I think he delivered everything I could have possibly wanted from this. Uh, it being the first half of the story, you know, it's just hard to kind of envision, okay, well, there's certain things that aren't going to pay off until the second half. I think he did everything I wanted to see done with it. I think the cast is amazing. The the visuals are great. And we talked about that in the, uh, in the episode. What I find amazing is I, in some ways Dune is that text and I don't want to get into the plot of it here. Cause it would take forever just to kind of rehash it. A giant uh, sci-fi epic that, that pulls from, you know, the, our, our real history to create a world so uh, far flung and complex with religion and with politics and, you know, and, and so many great science fiction ideas that dealing with the way the world works and the way that these individuals work within the system, whether you're talking about the Fremen who live out in the desert or the Bene Gesserits and the, it's just so much that as a novel, you always look at it and we've seen adaptations of it, but it's like, wow, how are you going to get something that kind of just breaks into the essence of this story? I love the Lynch movie, but it kind of at one point becomes its own thing. It's sort of the like, it's the David Lynch interpretation of Dune. And I love it for that. This Mm. is trying to be a more faithful sort of unpacking of, of Herbert's Dune in a way that makes it feel like real, like, like lived in and tactile. And I was so impressed that the movie does that. And it does some things with the way Paul's mind works as he's, as he's coming into his own with these powers that he has that I think are amazing. That I don't think the movie even had to do, but in doing so have me in tune with this character in a way, things going to really pay off in the second half. Uh, the fact that that second half isn't here yet is kind of where I'm kind of left in a limbo. Otherwise, this might truly, if we'd had the entire thing, I kind of feel this would probably be my number one movie of the year. Um, I know that's maybe a weird, uh, like, you know, sort of complaint. Oh, well, where's the rest of this movie that they didn't make? But what's here is amazing. I'm so happy with it, and I'm looking forward to more of it. No, it's a valid complaint. And yeah, we, we dove deeper into it on, on that previous episode 
um, Nathan, but uh, yeah, it, it, it should stand on its own if they're going to release it on its own. Yeah. And uh, it does fall a little short, a little short, but that said, it is on my list a little higher. <laughs> and, and here's a comment you won't hear me say very often. I wish it was longer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. you will not for Bill. Not when it's already this long. <laughs> it's already two hours and 20 minutes. You know, it's done its job. I, yeah. It, it, I, be, being someone who walked in kind of blind, I wanted a little bit more backstory, but now after having done the episode and done my own research, I realized like it's one of those ones, like, you know, like the TV show, the miniseries roots, you couldn't do that in two and a half hours. Yeah. You just, there's too much backstory and too much detail. So I get why you have to pick and choose what you do. But I'm, so I'm very curious how the next one is when it comes out, how it ties together and seeing as they didn't shoot it back to back, can they seamlessly integrate the first one with the second one? Yeah, I think they will. If Um, anyone can do it, I think Villeneuve can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, And, you know, we were talking earlier about, um, you know, how are these big budget movies going to make money these days? And I would say Dune is proof to the positive. I mean, first of all, it got my ass in the seat. Um, the only <laughs> is the only movie released in 2021 that did that. But uh, yeah, it, 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 so it made, it made money uh, in that way more than any other movie I saw last year. Plus uh, I think they already announced that uh, HBO, which is a Warner brothers company is doing a mini series on or a series on HBO max called Dune, the sisterhood. So after Dune two comes out, that's probably where the franchise will go, you know, with other directors and actors and stuff like that. Oh, that sounds amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's super exciting. I was going to say, Trey, did you see this? And if so, what were your thoughts? I did see it and I will talk about it a little later on. Number six, Trey, you're number six. Okay, so my number six is the age-old heartwarming tale of a man and his pig. Yes. Um, <laughs> it is Nicolas Cage's pig. Uh, well, Nicolas Cage did not direct this film, but it wouldn't be the same without him. Um, so I had no idea what to expect with pig. I just heard good things. And it's just this really great story. You know, Nicolas Cage has this truffle pig and they go... And hunt and one night his pig is stolen away from him and he goes on this journey to try to find where his pig went and all the while we get peeling back of layers of Nicolas Cage's past and I was thinking I was for sure it was going to go one way um, especially with the trend of the type of movies that we've had recently and when it doesn't go for that and it goes in a completely different direction it had me sold from there um, it's a really heartwarming film and yeah, it's these characters. We get to see them change and kind of get to better places in their lives. So I just really enjoyed pig. Yeah, yeah it's fantastic. I, it almost made number 10 for me. It came really close. Yeah. I, I hate giving away the drama. It, it, it was close on mine as well. Didn't quite make it. But I really liked it. I, I like the subdued as much as you love the whacked out, you know, mm-hmm. WTF moments, you know, the expositions that go on for 10 minutes. You don't know what he said. <laughs> I kind of like the subdued, brooding, singularly purposed character that he plays in this role. He uh, is so good thought, in this in this movie. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. He's excellent. And, and you know, there, I love there's the scene in the restaurant with his former cook. Yes. I, 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 I like that scene. Yeah. You know, it's it's quiet, it's atmospheric, it's subdued. 
Oh, I'm on fire. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> that- <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, it's it's a one it's a very nuanced uh cage performance and I find it I, I, I it's hard to think of any other actor that could have done that role, you know, maybe Willem Dafoe or William um, Hurt or somebody, would, maybe they're a little bit older, but like, yeah, it's, he's on that wavelength. He's like, yeah. Could you yeah. see like a, a William Sadler? Yes. Something like that, you know. But I just think that because we're used to um, yeah. Cage going buck wild, I think that's one of the reasons the film works when he doesn't so yeah. much um, yep. because you, you know, that's going on inside of him yep. and he's just controlling it. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he does and let I, that I, shine through a little bit. And what's interesting the weird thing about this movie is it starts out uh, exactly kind of how you would expect. And there's that yes. bit when he goes, I don't want to give very much away, but there's a moment early on when he goes into like this underground, like chef fighting ring or something. And you're like, right. Am I, and, and I'm starting to think we're going <laughs> to yes. get this really weird, like alternate world sort of vibe. And then the movie kind of backs off from that. And it goes, and there's this moment that Trey, you write this turning point when he says, here's a list of things I need. And where yes. that goes, yeah. <laughs> it was so amazing, so kind of tunes into my sort of the way I look at things, or or I would like to believe the world is. Like, everything that happens after that is so amazing. Yeah, and that's I, the point I, I was talking about, Nathan, where yeah, I turned around. I, I half expected Brad Pitt to walk it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah, it's that fight scene where he kind of demonstrates that his his one of his superpowers is endurance yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> and that's what's going to help him complete this quest yes yeah the, a beautiful one of his best performances ever honestly like to me it's like you put this in raising arizona i mean he was he, he's good mm-hmm. in a lot of the others but you what you see is is director sort of tweaking taking the rage cage and tweaking it and you working with it mm-hmm. and this is like remember i can do this i can yeah. i yeah. i i'm an actor and I yes. can do this. Yep. Yeah, yeah, this is kind of like you know, like Peggy Sue got married. Like that's this quality of yeah, that amazing. That's a great yeah. choice, Trey. I love that movie. Yep. Yep. Okay, so I will go with my number six, and it has been mentioned already by Trey. He always seems to bench me. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and this, so, so this is nobody. And the reason I chose nobody is I found the the second half of the year the films at least when I saw them were stronger. But nobody was one of the films along with the heavy metal movie that stuck with me. And I had originally done my list and I had forgotten this one. And I was like, oh, crap, I got to get this on. I think Odenkirk plays, you know, a schlubby everyman in a certain sense. But then it becomes more like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, this film. And Mm. I'm not going to give that much away. There's a great use of music in this film. I mean, I'm not giving anything away. In the first five minutes, you see Odenkirk dragging himself out of the police station to the animals slowed down. Don't let me be misunderstood. Uh, There's lots of use of Frank Sinatra and Louis Armstrong. And then out of nowhere, you get heartbreaker, dream maker, love taker. Don't you think? And it's just amazing. There's an amazing scene in a bus that, Every single person who's just of average size and ability just is raising their fist in the air going right on. Like, it is friggin' amazing, that scene. Yep. Yep. And to top it all off, it's shot in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Mm-hmm. So I, I got to give it credit for that. So 
I I love this film. And Christopher Lloyd is so good. That scene in the old age home on the chair. Oh yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's you know, like anybody who's honestly anybody listening who wants a one you can watch with your teenage kid, with your wife, with your dad. This is a good one to watch it with. Absolutely. Yep. All righty. So yeah. Victor, what you got next, bud? Um, yeah. Uh, uh, my number six. Uh, so we're getting now into the 8.5 range for me. Um, and uh, my number six movie was, and I think I may have said this before on another show, but uh, this is, I think, the first Netflix production that uh, ended up on my list uh, for the end of the year. And it's the Mitchells versus the Machines. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's brilliant. Um, it's brilliant. And it's one of those movies that is great for kids, especially kid artists. Um, and, uh, it also is great for the parents because it's got tons and tons of eighties references, um, a very subtle slam towards Disney. Uh, and, um, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, the basic premise is that it's, it's an apocalypse movie. There's an invasion where, uh, robots, uh, imprison, humanity and it's up to this dysfunctional family with this uh this young woman that is on her way to college uh and her parents and brother to um save (laughs) the rest of humanity and uh it's hilarious it's super entertaining they stick the landing everything absolutely everything right uh and it really um made me look up sony animation and go what else are they or what else are they going to do or what else have they done you know, let me let me look into their their uh, repertoire. But yeah, loved it. Um, yeah, this is it's sort of um, if you haven't seen this, uh, but you you watch adult friendly animation like I would say it's in the line of uh, Gravity Falls or Steven Universe, you know, stuff like that, where, you know, it's it's you it can be watched by kids, but it's mm-hmm. basically for adults. Uh, I mean, at least for young adults. Uh, yeah. But anyway, highly recommended. Yeah, eight point five. Yeah, Victor, uh, Gravity Falls is awesome. By the way, oh yeah, <laughs> Gravity Falls is amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I like this one too. It didn't quite make my list, but um, it was definitely one that I didn't expect it to kind of be as. I guess it's a little touching there in parts too. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed that one. I appreciate that it's much more geared towards the whole family can watch it. Whereas some of these Disney movies recently, it's kind of like, it's just childish humor every which way. So yeah, really enjoyed that movie. Yeah, I love this. And uh, it's right like outside the list and really uh, what I did with a lot of the animated movies. So I could make some room here is we have the illustrated fan and I was going to talk about some of the end of the year ones there. This is honestly at the top of the list. There's this and one other movie that stood headed head and tails above the animated ones and, and of animated movies for kids. This smoked all the Pixar movies, I think, this year, or the Pixar, yeah. you know, Pixar. We had Luke, Agreed. and then Disney had Encanto and Ray and the Last Dragon, and those were all good movies. But Mitchell Sources and Machines, you know, it's so it's so much fun. It is heartwarming. the 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 nuance of those characters. One of the things I love is this isn't like, and you know, you have so many of those movies where the family's a wreck and they learn not to be a wreck by you know saving the world. But this is like the family appears to be a wreck. And they just come to realize the fact that they're not a wreck and they're, 
they're strong enough to do this and they've <laughs> always been strong enough to do this that's a nuance that like rings true as the movie's running through and it is so funny. At one point, they pick up these two robots that are sort of being like rehabilitated to the <laughs> human side, and they're in the car. And is everything else in this family? The dog is like it's just this big fat slob of a dog, and they're like, uh, my kids and I are always reciting. They're the robots. They, they, their brains can't take it. They're saying, trying to figure out what it is. Pig, dog, big dog, loaf of bread. <laughs> six number six for me is I'm actually kind of amazed that the movie is amazed. It's you know amazed and uh uh that it's here on, on this list i'm not a huge or i i've really enjoyed a lot of the superhero movies i i tend to be that there's none i'm not complaining or oh, are they still making superhero movies i tend to enjoy them i tend not to be that invested in them most of the time i once in a while something weird like the suicide squad or james gunn and what he did with the guardians of the galaxy and in some of what even you know some of what snyder did where you they're idiosyncratic enough that I enjoy them. Uh, very rarely, some of the big, the bigger uh, like Marvel things have caught my attention. But I have to say, one of the best times I had at the theater this year was at Spider-Man: No Way Home. Um, mm -hmm. I enjoyed the other two movies that Tom Holland did within this series. I didn't care as much for the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies and the Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire. I liked the first one, the second one. I think, like most people, the third one sort of was like all over the place. Uh, Spider-Man as a character has been always one of my favorite comic book characters. And, uh, I felt like the movies were always getting a little piece here, right? A little piece there, right? One of the things, particularly about the Marvel films that I have always kind of struggled with is as good as they are, they aim right down the middle and they, they always seem to be just off of, Hey, this is what I remember it feeling like to read a comic book, not just that feeling of mm -hmm. reading it, but the way it's set up, the, the experience of all those pan those panels, those different artists all coming together and, and being able to do something weird that you can't always do on screen that always felt sort of uh, reduced for me. You know, this the Marvel stories got really strange sometimes and no way home. I don't even want to say much because somehow I saw this movie. Uh, because it was around Christmas time and I wanted to wait till the family could go with me, probably was out for about two weeks or so before I saw it. And I managed to somehow walk into this movie, uh, not completely blind, but enough that some of the, the some of the things were still big surprises for me. And I think this movie uh, does what few superhero movies tend uh, are able to do, which is they hone in on the essence of what a character is. They hone in on the essence of Spider-Man in a way that none of the other Spider-Man movies have done. And yet it brings in some way all of those other Spider-Man stories from those previous movies and from the comic books into play here. And those threads from the Infinity Wars and things like that, the way that Doctor Strange uh, is melded into the story. And there's a sequence inside the Mirrorverse that's almost exactly the experience of the comic book. It's not a watered down, we had to do this to get it on screen. It looks like I'm reading the comic book. Uh, they bring in, again... And they get the essence of the story. You get to see Tom Holland really come into his own and where they, they, what they do with all of these side players. It doesn't feel like we're just kicking the can in the Marvel universe. This is the main attraction and it weaves in, you know, you have some misgivings about the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. You have some misgivings about the Andrew Garfield, Mark Webb Spider-Man. Well, guess what? This movie uh, helps you with that a little bit. It does so many things for this character. I was not expecting. I didn't expect this to have... Uh, any kind of real effect on me the way it did. Did I walk out of this smiling and energized and excited? A few years ago, Into the Spider-Verse, I love and adore that Spider-Man movie. I still think it's the best Spider-Man movie, but this is right there with it. It's doing taking the kind of weird 
chances that that movie did. And I, I think it's great. It's a legitimately great movie, not just a good Marvel movie, in my personal opinion. Awesome. Amazing. You're, you're amazing, Nathan. <laughs> I, I hear some foreshadowing. That's what I hear. Spectacular, <laughs> even. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, Trey, that leads us to you. Number five. Okay, number five. Um, this is a film that I've been looking forward to for a while, and it's by one of my favorite directors. Um, I still don't think this director's made a bad film, maybe just kind of middle of the road ones. Uh, but it is Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. Oh, good choice. And for me, this is a movie of two halves. And you've got the first half, which I think is damn near perfect. Um, as far as the setup when they're in this the carnival sideshow um, type setting, I think that part is almost perfect. It's got this dark vibe to it throughout. Um, there's these, you know, Ron Perlman plays a very kind of menacing <laughs> character at this point. Um, and I just love that entire cast of characters and how it's set up. Um, the film kind of switches into the second half into something else, and it kind of goes much more film noir. Um, which makes sense, this being kind of a pseudo-remake. And I don't know how closely it follows that original, but definitely like the first half more than the second. But when it comes to the ending of this film, it's incredible. And I think it just ends so perfectly. So, um, yeah, Bradley Cooper is great here. I think the entire cast is great. And, yeah, really like Nightmare Alley. Awesome. Yeah, that's one I wanted to get to. I just ha didn't have time to squeeze it in. But seeing as that's Del Toro, it's going to be grand. It's going to be well shot. Mm -hmm. There's going to be some good effects, no doubt. So uh, I will definitely be checking it out. Now, when you say film noir, is it kind of like Dark City film noir? I mean, it's not sci-fi. It, 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 no, it's, no, no, no. It's Yeah, go ahead, Nathan. I was going to say visually, though, Bill, he like they're doing something that really uh, catches all the same kind of visuals that were used in those black and white films with it, that were using mm -hmm. the contrast of the black and white and del toro in some ways comes the closest i've seen to replicating that in a color film in a way that just like has almost the same sort of uh uh evocation like it feels almost that strong it gets the strong emotions across mm -hmm. it's a it's a great movie it's a great choice Trey. And th there is a black and white version that yeah. showed at the new beverly uh oh, really i want to see ago, that so. yes yes It'll probably be included on the um, the the release, the physical media yeah. release. And Trey, yeah, the so the the forties version, and they're both based off of a novel. And in some ways, this movie is a little bit closer, I think, particularly in its denouement to the novel. Uh, but I think the forties movie is excellent too, and in some ways stronger. It's uh, it's shorter, and it it, it uh, in some ways has a little bit more bite. In other places, it it maybe has less, but. Um, I think they're both great versions of a great book. Oh, AM. Okay. AM. Gershon. Beauty. Alrighty. Okay. So for number six, I went with one that I had seen actually in some of the posts of Land of the Creeps. So I thought I was walking into a horror film. I ultimately decided it's more action than horror. And it's because of the gore element that it got put, I think, by some people to horror, but it's really not. This is a Norwegian film. 
called mm-hmm. I Aunt Dage or The Trip. Mm. And, and and this is one that I had heard some things about, but I really didn't know anything about it. And it starts out really, really quirky. Turns out there's this couple that's, you know, they've been married for a while. You can see they're kind of bickering at the beginning. And they're taking this trip up to a cottage out by the lake to under the auspices of, you know, to get the romance back, you know, to get themselves good in the sack, to get themselves back into action Hmm. and basically find themselves again. But let's just say they both have ulterior motives where it's, it shows on the cover. I'm not giving anything away. They both have plans on killing each other (laughs) at this cottage. Well, it was a comedy of errors to start with. One wants to do it one way. One wants to do it other. And let's just say from the sky come some guests. Uh, And these guests put a wrinkle in both of their plans and create a series of events that become bloody, gory, hilarious action, nonstop survival film. It's almost theater of the bizarre at times, but at the end of the day, it's a couple story and it's absolutely hilarious. Anybody that liked the horror movie, something like Vicious, um, uh, for the sake of Vicious, no, Vicious Fun. It doesn't go that far. So that's why I put it in the non-horror section. But there are allusions to that type of overarching feel. But what a whole ton of fun, honestly. If you're an adult, you're going to have a lot of fun. Especially if you are married or have been married you're going to enjoy the trip. It is subtitled. I mean, God, heaven forbid you watch it dubbed, but watch <laughs> it subtitled. And it, 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 so a lot of, of events are happening and there is comedy involved. And all of a sudden you get a Norwegian version of Harper Valley PTA. <laughs> and, and I'm going, huh? <laughs> they get to the point where they use Norwegian, you know, it's bizarre. But a heck of a lot of fun. I don't know if any of you guys have seen it and what you thought of it. No, but I really want to see it now. It's fun. It's a fun one. Okay. I did not get to it yet, Bill, but I need to see it. Yeah, it's. It, I honestly, Trey, you can watch it with the wife. It, it, it's it's a ball. It's, okay. it's a ball. This awesome. All righty. So we will now go to Mr. Victor Rodriguez. What do you have to say? Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, number five, uh, I have, this is the only tie that I have on my list, and it's a three-way tie. It's three documentaries about music. Um, the films are, they're all, they all made it 8.5 out of 10 for different reasons, um, but uh, it includes the Sparks Brothers, the Velvet Underground, and Summer of Soul. And... Um, I'll uh, try to take the time I would normally take for one movie <laughs> to explain all three of these. But um, the Sparks Brothers is about uh, the band Sparks, um, who have been recording uh, for quite a while now. And uh, you don't have to know anything about the band to love this movie. It's directed by Edgar Wright. Um, it's my favorite movie that he's ever made. 
It's his first documentary feature. And um, Sparks happens to be the first band I ever saw live in Los Angeles. That's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, it held a very special place for me, especially when they got to the 80s period, because that's when uh, that's when I saw them, like 80, 81. Uh, and um, yeah, uh, it, it was absolutely great. Now, The Velvet Underground um, is about the band. Uh, and one thing I noticed right off the bat is it doesn't kiss uh, the band's butt. Like, it shows the dark side of the band as well as yeah. the, um, the the amazing groundbreaking stuff they did. But um, I think most of all, it's about a cultural place and time. Like, what was going on in New York when The Velvet Underground formed is really mind-blowing and what gave it the 0.5 like it's an excellent excellent documentary everything you need to know about the band is in that but what what kind of pushed it over the top was the experience of watching the movie is very similar to listening to one of their albums it's it's like very trippy it's uh you know one song kind of blends into the other the way they layer it it's just i mean it's incredible obviously done by people who know the music inside and out um, is directed by Todd Haynes, the guy that did uh, velvet Goldmine. Uh, so yeah, it's incredible. Uh, and the third movie is summer of soul, which is basically like, have you ever, ever heard of the black Woodstock? Um, it's uh, the Harlem cultural festival that was held in 1969. It was filmed and, uh, <laughs> Appropriately enough, um, unfortunately, um, the uh, the film was never released, uh, and uh, it was, it, people just sat on it for fifty, I guess, fifty two years, and um, it finally got correlated into um, a project by Questlove, uh, and um, he put it all together. And this has amazing guests, like amazing musical guests. Like, I mean, Stevie Wonder. <laughs> a super angry Nina Simone, uh, <laughs> Sly and the Family Stone, Fifth Dimension. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. It's incredible, incredible hits. And and then it's sort of interspaced with sound bites of, you know, typical black citizens in New York uh, and how they felt about being black in America at that time. So it's, uh, I, I thought they were all masterpieces. I really had trouble getting one above the other two, but they are all great movies. Highly recommend them all. So that's it. That's my number five. That's awesome. It's funny. I The uh, Sparks Brothers ones, I almost watched the other day. I was just a little too tired and I didn't quite get to it. I think it's streaming on Netflix, I believe. Is it not? I do not know. It's one of the services. One of the services the Sparks Brothers is on. Uh, so I do want to watch that. So I didn't even realize it was Edgar Wright that directed it. So absolutely i want to see that and yeah. the summer of love really intrigues me because like i'm a pretty good music lover of classic rock and things like that i didn't know anything about this summer of love festival so i i really want to check it out did it was it streaming on anything that, uh Victor? yeah uh summer of soul i think it's hulu or, or prime i forget which which one i think it's hulu Is it? okay i'll look into that uh, yeah, I understand the Hulu rules are different for Canada than they are in the United States, so it may not yeah. be streaming on Hulu in Canada. I have a feeling I'll have to go to Prime and pay four ninety nine or something, but I'm sure it's, it's well it's worth it. Totally it's totally worth amazing. It. Yeah. 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 All three of those are are right on, are the, at the top of the crop as far as documentaries and musical documentaries specifically. Um, 
yeah, they're they're all all great. Is is there a good version of them doing Sweet Jane? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember. Um, or are they too high to even? <laughs> no, no, no. It's um... no. I'm pretty sure it's it's in there. And uh, yeah, uh, well, that, I mean, that's a, a, a Lou Reed solo song, I believe. Yeah. But oh, um, that's true. That's true. I think it is in there. Um, I do remember hearing it recently. So I don't know. Gotcha. Good call, Victor. Now for bringing that to our attention, because I never would have found some Russell. Thanks. Yeah, Velvet Underground is on Apple Plus, I believe, for now. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think Sparks Brothers is on Prime, I believe. It's on Netflix. Prime. Netflix, that's it. That's where it is. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, uh, Trey. Yep, I was looking up while you guys were talking. So. <laughs> <laughs> our, our rambling got your research. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So my number five film is Paul Schrader's The Card Counter. And oh. I have really been enjoying Schrader's like later work uh, that he's done. He, he did First Reformed a few years ago with Ethan Hawke, which I thought was a phenomenal movie. And uh, this one is also a very interesting, I thought, character study in a, about a different concept, about a different topic, but uh, a delve into a character and a whole kind of world that surrounds the character and the intertwining of those things in such a way that I think it's fascinating and there are thriller elements, but they're they're shot through what's happening to this character. So I, I just found it a very fascinating movie. The letterbox description says, William Tell just wants to play cards. His Spartan existence on the casino trail is shattered when he's approached by Cirque, a vulnerable and angry young man seeking help to execute his plan for revenge on a military colonel. Tell sees a chance at redemption through his relationship with Cirque, but keeping Cirque on the straight and narrow proves impossible, dragging Tell back into the darkness of his past. This movie has an awesome cast. Oscar Isaac is the lead, is William Tell. He's, I think he's always good. He was great in Dune. He's been great in almost everything I've ever seen him in. Here, he kind of takes it to another level, I think, and uh, with, with Schrader and creates his character that has various layers. The, the, there is an element, obviously, as you can tell with this movie, where there's always a question of who's being played and uh, what level is the is is the the honest and sort of forthright person and the, the real person, and then what level is the is, is the poker face? You know, it, it, what's the level where I'm holding some things back? Uh, Ty Sheridan, I've been really excited to watch him just continue to grow. I remember seeing him years ago in Tree of Life, and then just coming on up through film, and he's he's becoming a great actor. He's awesome. This Tiffany Haddish mm. is great in this movie, playing off of mm. Isaac. I think I think she was terrific. Willem Dafoe, of course, who was in I think just about every <laughs> movie released in twenty twenty one. You know he's he's all, always good, and yet it's how Schrader chooses to use them in here. It's kind of what we were talking about with with Nicolas Cage, where in Pig, Nicolas Cage gets to be used differently than he's often used. And that sort of makes it more valuable, you know, and that's kind of what happens. So many different bit players in this film and just everything that Schrader does, he kind of gets down in there and creates, he's been making movies that could be thrillers, but he makes them almost feel like documentaries at the same time. You know, they're that, that they're that well observed and that well realized. And I loved everything about this movie. It just kept kind of like a snowball and it kept sort of drawing me in more and more and more. I don't know if anyone else has seen it, but yeah, I loved the card counter. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. Um, it just missed my list. Um, it's right there in my honorable mentions section. 
Um, but yeah, you really get this to your point. You get this feeling. I don't know if you felt this, Nathan, but you kind of feel uneasy watching the film, even yes. from the beginning. Like you think there's something off about it. Like there's just something not right. But mm-hmm. um, second, what you said about the cast, the cast is amazing, especially Tiffany Haddish. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's a film that was on my list. And I just, again, ran out of time with Nate Alley. But I definitely want to check it out. I think Oscar Isaac is a really strong actor, and yeah. I'm curious how he is in this. But based on your description, sounds like he's well worth a watch. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen it yet either, but I really want to. Yeah, it's very good. And I would also recommend his last one, um, or I don't know, Strayer's last one, the, the one he did with um, with Ethan Hawke, uh, First Reformed. Yeah, it's very loved, good, too. Loved it. And and it's like what Trey says that sense of unease right from the beginning that it, the 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 content isn't the parts that you think should be the thriller aren't the thriller and the other parts that mm-hmm. you know this should yep. be the downtime is the thriller <laughs> and that's what's so yep. fascinating I think these movies actually are great like counterbalances to each other both of these so um, I think it's phenomenal now now Nathan mm-hmm. I'm curious if his other 2021 release makes your animated list because he did of he did the voice of. Gomez Adams in Adam's Family Two. <laughs> I didn't see. I didn't see Adam's Family Two. I'm not sure now if my if my um, kids have seen that one either. We we wanted to see it. It's just it was one that with with the other 30 movies released in October. I just don't think we got to it. So uh, I thought you were saying that Schrader directed an animated movie, and I got all psyched out for a second. Oh man! <laughs> I was like, oh man. Um, but anyway, yeah. So number. Four for you, Trey. Yeah, it wouldn't be one of my list unless I had a couple of foreign films on here. So I'll go with another one at number four and go with the Danish film Writers of Justice. Yes. Um, yeah. So this one just really stuck with me, even as I was watching other films to kind of cram in at the end of the year. Um, set this up a little bit. You have um, Mads Mikkelsen, who is a former soldier. Um his wife and daughter are in this accident on a train. It's kind of set up by this series of events. It's kind of like, you know, one domino falls and the rest go down. Um, a very strange series of events. And for, I believe it's Otto is the other character. He is also there for this accident and Mad's wife's wife dies in this. Um, and that's not a spoiler. It happens right up front. And he's kind of this, um, he works in, theories and kind of formulas and things like that to predict things and writes these algorithms. And he's thinking this has to be more than a coincidence. So he gets with um, Mads and they kind of go on this quest for revenge against this biker gang um, named Riders of Justice. And it's just amazing the to get the tone of this film Um, One second, it's a hardcore action film, and the next second, it can be just a comedy. And you get to know these cast of characters, and you really like them a lot. They're really funny. To give you um, a little example, there's a scene where one of the characters is pretending to be a therapist, and he's getting all deep (laughs) with uh, Mad Mickelson's daughter, and um, saying, like, oh, no, you're not a terrible person. This doesn't make you a terrible person, but you are chubby. And I think he calls her like a chubby salami or something like that. (laughs) And it's like, you just get from this like serious moment switching on a dime. Um, It's just got a lot of heart. It's got a lot of laughs in there and it's got a lot of good action. Yes. I I saw this uh, over the weekend Trey, because you recommended it. (laughs) And uh, I was not disappointed. I loved it. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, Mickelson's awesome. Uh, you know, I've liked just about everything he's been in. Um, and yeah, the Danish sense of humor is strange, but I do like it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I do laugh when I'm supposed to laugh. <laughs> yep. And um, yeah, uh, it does. It, it's It's a revenge flick, but it's also kind of about you know, it's like, oh, the writers of justice. It's like, you know, they're the writers of justice, but they're becoming like, you know, this murderous bike gang, yes. the writers of justice. <laughs> yep. And so there's a little bit about toxic mas- masculinity there, but they really only give that messaging like five seconds of movie yeah. time. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. mostly a straight revenge picture. Yeah, with if, comedy. If Quentin yeah. Tarantino directed Wild Hogs, basically, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's such a crazy movie. And you're right, the Dana sense of humor. And, and 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 something similar, last year, a lot on our list, a lot of us had another round with Mads Mikkelsen. And it's that weird thing where there's like the stoicness that sits right alongside absurd, like, like just goofball humor, like like the like the scene yeah. you're describing, Trey. That's just a goofball humor that you would see in like a Steve Martin silly movie. But it's right mm-hmm. next to the fact that they're going to go out and kill these people for killing their family, like right next, <laughs> yeah. next to one another. Yeah. And when the rest of the guys are like gearing up to go out, there's like yes. three different tones throughout that whole thing. It's like yeah. very serious, and then it's very like funny, and then it's very sad. And it's I love when movies like just have, say you're going to have yeah. all the emotions. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's it's wonderful. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Sounds like I missed the party. <laughs> Yeah, you need to check it out, Bill. It's awesome. All right. But Bill, you're number yeah, four. Another one. I was going to say, is that a good like, sit on the couch with my wife movie? Yeah. I think she could dig it. Yeah. It's. Yeah. <clears throat> quirky. Yeah. It is very quirky. Yes. Awesome. Well, the one that made my number, what are we at? Number four. four mm-hmm. Is one that was my last one that I watched before I made this list. And it was one, I just saw somebody's list. I typed in best of 2021 because I hadn't seen a lot. And someone brought up this one and I was like, okay, I'll find it. I'll give it a shot. And I'm wondering if you guys have watched. From this year, a movie simply entitled Mass. And it was directed by Fran Kranz, who this is his debut, but he was all, he was an actor previous to this the biggest fil- uh, film he was probably in was cabin in the woods mm-hmm. it stars jason isaacs he who's got a very long list of movies he's been in martha plimpton mm-hmm. who if you know the goonies or sure. parenthood that's where you would probably know martha plimpton from the most uh and dowd who was most recently in hereditary uh reed bernie who was most recently in the hunt a lot of veteran actors Here's the simple IMDb description. Aftermath of a violent tragedy that affects the lives of two couples in different ways. Can you be any more vague than that? (laughs) What happens is at the beginning of the film, there's two sets of couples that arrive at a church. And they go over to like the conference room and they both arrive at various times you know something has happened that's led them there. You don't know what yet. And they're obviously playing off some emotions and they have lists of things they want to say, but you still aren't sure what. And the two couples get together. It's a slow build. 
and you quickly realize one couple has lost their child and the other couple were, were the parents of the person that killed them. Mm. And they're sitting across from each other at this table for essentially an hour and 45 minutes asking questions about, well, they first start with small talk and they get into their little politics stuff. And the wife of the teenager that had been killed said, I don't want to hear about your politics. I want to get down to brass tacks and what happened. And it's an emotional journey. As a parent, you almost start tearing up watching this. And you don't necessarily take one side versus the other. It's the journey you get to. And you almost get the impression that some of it's improvised. Not because it isn't well done, but because you kind of think the actors went with the flow and kept going because there aren't a lot of obvious cutscenes. You kind of get into the backstory of the child that was killed and what happened to them on that fateful day. You get into the backstory of the murderer and what happened on that fateful day and all the emotions that you can guess play out, play out, but they're within the setting of a church, not in the chapel, but they're in a side room. And it's a very dialogue driven single space small area, back and forth. The budget was not huge. It didn't need to be huge because it was the human drama that was playing before you that you just kept watching. I didn't know anything about the film and I read a couple reviews and people either really loved it or just thought it was a tripe film that just kind of just goes on and on and nowhere. I got sucked in. Maybe it's me being a parent. Maybe it's me liking crime novels. Maybe it's me just liking a well-directed, dialogue-driven, simple film. But I really, really dug this film. I don't know if any of you guys have seen this one. Now this I have not seen it, but it sounds great. It sounds, it's a great idea for a script. I mean... Now, this awesome. is a good one. A- um, and it is, like you said, Bill, it's, it's straightforward but effective. Uh, and it really has the feel of like almost a stage play. Like That's kind of how it plays out. And Kranz yeah, keeps it pretty simple this, like you, that. He, and it, oh, sorry, I just going to say you could easily see this on a stage in New York City. Yeah, and and what and and in doing that as a from a kind of first time director who's also been in, uh, you know, a lot of TV work and in movies uh, that have utilized him in a similar way. Where okay, you've got this small sort of ensemble, and the important aspects of the movie are playing off that ensemble, and as a as a director or a homer, you sort of get out of the way and you want to free up as much space for those characters to have that energy. Jason Isaacs is an actor. I love, uh, he is also an actor that sometimes gets wasted in movies where they decide he's just going to be the bad guy. And this is like mm-hmm. vindic. We're talking about vindication for some of these other actors. This is a, this is a Jason Isaacs vindication. He is amazing in this movie. Uh, even if nothing else was working, you see it for him, but, but the rest of it works too. It's a good movie. I have not seen it, but that definitely sounds like something I need to check out. Yep. All righty. So, Victor, what you got for us? Yes, sir. Um, Number four is a film we've already talked about, The Last Duel. Um, I just wanted to say a couple more things. Um, One was, uh, yeah, I I thought it was Ridley Scott's best film since Gladiator. Um, Another thing 
was uh, I love what they did with the period language. Now that's often an issue with um, medieval movies yeah. where, you know, it's like, do they speak in Shakespearean English? Do they speak in modern mm-hmm. English? Um, they do a, a, an incredible tightrope act in this script uh, where it sounds period, but it takes five seconds to like understand the rhythm of the way they talk. And um, I just, I got to hand it to the script writers, you know, uh, Damon Affleck. And I think the third writer was Nicole Holof Center who did, yes. uh, you know, she was on Orange is the New Black and uh, Parks and Rec. Uh, so she's a comedy writer, but um, she does a fantastic job doing period drama here. Uh, and um, yeah. Uh, oh, the other thing I wanted to mention was, I mean, two, two, two kind of warnings for people to watch this. Like if you are triggered by rape, um, yeah. you may not want to watch this movie because you get to see that three times. Um, and, and it's horrible twice. Uh, but yes. Yeah. Oh, t- oh, twice. Yeah. yeah. Twice. Twice is enough. Uh, right. Because right. Uh, and, um, the, the other thing is, uh, if you're interested in seeing a dual movie, <laughs> you don't get that until the last 20 minutes. So but when um, you get it, you get it. Yeah. But yeah, it's fantastic when it happens. Yeah. And it's 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 to- it's like the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like it's totally <laughs> over the top. All the energy that's built up through the yeah. whole movie is released mm-hmm. in that in that duel and uh it's it works tremendously well. So that's it. I just wanted to say that. 8.5. Yep. Very good points there, Victor, for those warnings especially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and those, you know, there are there is some action and some bad. We do see some of the the sort of battles like the 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 various sort of uh mm-hmm. When, when they have to go off and, and go on these various sort of, um, you know, they're sent to this battlefield or that bathroom, you get to see it. There was a, there's a scene early on where you see one of them beat someone to death with their own chain mail that I was impressed right. with. Just ball up in your hand and start punching them in the face with it. I haven't seen that. And, you know, the, the actors are great. Uh, I didn't really mention that much when we were talking about it, but like initially, but all three of them are great. Matt Damon, honestly, you know, I had seen him, in that movie, the great wall where he was very, very, now I, as a, as a kind of guilty schlocky B monster movie, I kind of like that, but he's so unconvincing as a sort of crusading knight. And here he hits the right tone and, and driver's great. And, but uh, Jodie Comer, she she was, I had a lot of fun. She was in free guy. She's, she was a lot of fun in that movie. Uh, She's really good here. Really, really good here. Yeah, I hadn't seen her before, Nathan, and then I saw her twice this year. Yeah, yes, so. and she's uh, she's she's wonderful, and she's had the the work she's given to do here is a little more subtle, I think, than you initially realize uh, until the whole thing is is over. And um, and Affleck seems like he's having more fun here than I've seen him have in a while on a movie. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, not, not frowning nearly as much, unless it's called for, you know. <laughs> so yeah, right. Um, but yeah, that that's a, an awesome movie and a surprise because I wasn't expecting. You know, an interesting thing. Last thing I'll mention about it is it kind of loops loops back in Ridley Scott's career because he his first movie was a movie called The Duelists that oh, yeah. is not you know that's uh, Napoleonic era, but dealing with guys having a standoff over twenty some years. But sort of the way it plays with things, uh, had, there's some similarities there. So they're they're. Uh, they're, they're these character driven sweeping epics and that's, that's kind of cool. 
Yeah, and I think I read somewhere, Nathan, that um, the cast, one of the castles that's featured in the Duelists, also appears in the Last Duel. Oh, that's very cool. I got to look that that up. Uh, these yeah. these are all going to be great movies, and I'm not sure if the Last Duel. I guess it might be out because it's on HBO Max now. I don't know if it's out in like physical copy yet, but these are all going to be great movies to watch the commentaries on. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right, Nathan, what you got? Oh, yeah, that's me. We're up to number four. So number four is time for my next tie. <laughs> my oh, last man. tie. <laughs> here we go. But, yeah. uh, here we go. These uh, two movies, both dealing with music, both blew me away. Both uh, wasn't necessarily expecting either one of them. One of them's already been talked about, The Summer of Soul. Um, man, an awesome, awesome concert movie. Uh, and you get so into it, and it's everything you said Victor, the way it is played with uh, the perspective and then and, and people sort of also reflecting upon it, what Questlove does with the structure of it, but retains that like that vibe of the, the, the concert film where you're just in it and you're uh, immersed in it and absorbed by it. And it's just uh, it does everything a musical documentary should do, uh, particularly this kind where you want to focus and, and the music needs to be important. But we're also carving out its space in his, history and, you know, what was going on, what it means, what it means that this thing has been kind of shelved for so long. Uh, an amazing movie. The other one surprised me because I was pretty much kind of dead set against it. But this is Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Um, hmm. So surprised that honestly, uh, how well it turned out. And, and and being a story that I enjoyed the old Robert Wise movie and recognizing that it was particularly as time goes on, more and more problematic and, uh, and structurally being a kind of remake of Romeo and Juliet and with these big songs and not thinking and Spielberg never having quite demonstrated that I have seen that he could do this sort of thing with a musical uh, and, and also not having enjoyed a lot of Spielberg's movies in recent years as much um, blown away by how good this is. And, and the performances, the music, everything is popping. It's again, everything you'd want to see in a musical, uh, the vibrancy and the interaction of the characters and, you, you're rolling your eyes at some of the lyrics, you're rolling your eyes at some of the plot developments, but you're in this, and if you're someone who thinks that West Side Story is corny, this movie makes wants to move you past that. It, good musicals, I think musicals are one of those things that from the outside you look at it like, I'm not into musicals. And that's often how I approach things, but a good musical kind of can take you into the middle of it, and you've forgotten the fact that you're in a musical anymore. And I'm astonished that this one did it. This is his best work, in my opinion, in a very long time. Uh, I'm trying to think of the last movie that he did that had this much effect on me. It's It's been a while. So um, I love this. I love everything about it. I'm looking forward to seeing it again uh, on uh, when it when it comes out in, in physical media and on streaming. So I uh, love both of these movies. They are tremendous. If you're, if you're into music, you're looking for musical-style films, I think both of these are top-notch and... Uh, just some of the best experiences I had with movies this year. And how were the dance numbers on uh, West Side Story? Really good. Over the top? Or? No, I mean, it's, well, here's the cool thing. It's Spielberg, you've got the choreography, but it's how he's shooting them too. And they builds it in, you know, the old kind of grand Hollywood thing is to do a crane shot back as you see like 50 people dancing. Like Spielberg gets in there. Some There's some digital work going on, but you kind of remember why he why he became so popular as a sort of director of of uh mainstream sort of vibrant movies you know that's that some of that kind of uh 
that that energy that he had back in the day that I haven't seen in a long time, back in those Raiders of the Lost Ark days, you see some of the energy come back when he's filming these these musical scenes and these dance numbers. And uh, it's it's not all static. It's not just, hey, watch these people dance. Here's, here's, here's snapping gangs. You know, he makes the movie interesting enough that you're not sitting there thinking, oh gosh, snapping gangs. Um, uh, it's hard to explain, but I it, it drew me in and I didn't expect it to. Yeah, we, we should have known uh, since the beginning of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom that this moment would come. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> well played. <laughs> oh. uh, I tell you, Nathan, I, I see a musical and I'm interested in seeing a musical about as often as the cicadas come out, but... Um, <laughs> I've heard enough buzz around this one that I'm kind of excited to see it once it comes out on digital or somewhere so yeah. I can rent it. Yeah. And and that's kind of the like tragedy of it is this is so good on the big screen, but nobody, but no, everybody's no like, Oh wait, Oh wait, the streaming, <laughs> they need his release on streaming. And maybe if it wins an Oscar and it comes to that to the theaters, then you, then, then everyone should go see it again. Well, yeah, yeah. it's part of that Disney um, 20th century studios dump that they did yeah. there in, November and mm. December, so mm. they put two of them out the same week, I believe. Yeah, so. I, I, I wasn't expecting. Yeah, this it right. It, like, let's drop it with Spider Man. What a great idea! Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Spielberger draw him in. Come on. Yeah, but I mean, and Spielberg, like he uh, he hasn't impressed me in a very long time. Um, Munich might be the last movie I thought of his that was really good. Maybe I might yeah. might be off, good. but like, I mean, there was ones I've liked. Um, and I, I don't really, I don't begrudge him, but I mean, I haven't seen the spark in a long time, and I saw it here. Yep. Awesome. All righty, so I guess we're up to our number threes. Yeah. Top three. So, Mr. Whetstone, what says you? Yeah, um, so with this one, I kind of embarrassed, I've been practicing because I kind of embarrassed myself on the pronunciation of this director's name on my last episode with Dave. Um, and this is Denis Villeneuve. Is Villeneuve. Right? Villeneuve. Villeneuve. <laughs> um, the Canadian spin I... on it. There. <laughs> hey. Please, Canadian. Villeneuve. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's Dune. It's um, so as someone who, I mean, I was about as fresh as Bill to this universe. Really, um, I had no. Let's go get I some knew spice. About... Yeah, <laughs> let's go get that spice. <laughs> I had no. Um, no kind of connection to the novel. I knew about it and I have seen, I've tried to watch Lynch's Dune and I just cannot get into it. <laughs> mm. So um, I, I didn't know what to expect here, but this is that kind of high concept, very glossy type sci-fi that we just don't get a whole lot, you know, space travel and different races um, on different planets and all of this stuff. And I really, it just blew me away, the visuals. And of course, that's always going to be Villeneuve's strong point. Um, but I just think all of the characters kind of work together. I would have liked some more time with some of the characters, really. Um, and yes, that ending is unfortunate at where it stops. Um, not knowing what's coming next is kind of, it's just leaving me on this cliffhanger. But I just got so invested in this world and I loved being there and the cast is great and yeah. That's about all I got to say about Dune. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will say for a movie that I walked into cold, the effects were really well done. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously you're going to get that with that grandiose type of film, but 
Yeah, they didn't cheap out anywhere. No. Alrighty. So my number three is one for the longest time was my number one non-horror film of the year. And again, it's a sit on the couch with my wife, watch. It's a Netflix film. Very rarely do the Netflix films get up there, but I found myself sucked in. And again, part of it is the, the parent angle. Part of it is the crime angle. Part of it is just the tension. And that's a film called The Guilty. Oh, yeah. An hour, 30 minutes, not a long time investment. Directed by Antoine Fuqua, who's done films such as The Magnificent Seven, Training Day, The Equalizer. He's done a lot. Stars Jake Gyllenhaal. And it has the voices of actors you might know. For example, Riley Keough. Uh, Ethan Hawke, Peter Sarsgaard. And what happens is Jake Gyllenhaal is an officer that has had something happen while he was on patrol. And he has now been resigned to duty behind a phone with 911. And he guides people who call in. And he's kind of ticked off that the actions that happened that got him to get there shouldn't have happened. He's coming up to trial. But he's doing this job because he wants to keep his job as long as possible. And he's frustrated by having to work at night. And he gets a call one night. I'll give the IMV description. It says, a demoted police officer assigned to a call dispatch desk is conflicted when he receives an emergency phone call from a kidnapped woman. He gets this call from a woman who, who sounds like she's in despair and is in danger. And it's got that element of, you know, remember that old film talk radio where it's somebody talking over the microphone for hours on end. Oh yeah. It, this is kind of like that only in the sense of it's people in a booth, you know, it's got that Pony pool element. He's in the booth and he's taking these calls and it starts to ramp up the actions that the woman's getting kidnapped and she's under threatened by her ex-husband and the chase that goes on with it and how he responds to it and how people within the force sometimes don't necessarily believe what he said because of the actions he's done to put himself on trial. You know, as a and there is involving a child who has gone uh, kidnapped by a father, and it's the peril that the mother seems to be in, and you're getting all of this at night in this uh, place at in the not in the dark, but in that setting over the phone, and you don't hear anything, and it's one of those things where. Your imagination is running way further ahead than what's happening on the screen. Yeah. And as a parent, it pulls your heartstrings. As a, as a drama, it sucks you in. It's small space, small location horror, which by now you pretty well know that's my favorite type of a horror. This is not a horror film. This is a crime drama thriller, not even action. It's, you know, it's very high in drama, but it sucked me in and there's a few twists and turns along the way that I am not going to get into. Hmm. Suffice to say 
Jen and I sat and watched it and for 90 minutes, I didn't think I got up to go to the washroom. I just couldn't stop watching the film. I don't know if you guys have seen this one. Yeah, I, I haven't seen the Jake Gyllenhaal one, but I did see the uh, the Danish version from 2018, I think it was. Yep. Uh, and it, it was awesome. It was exactly the way you described this one. <laughs> and truthfully, that's the only reason I wasn't bigger on this movie. It is exactly as you describe it, Bill. And and this one's good, um, but it is it 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 skew. It's one of those deals where it skews so closely to the 2018 film that it was almost like, oh yeah, you know, I I, had, I I at that point I knew the twists and the turns and 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 all the beats, and so it was hard to really, unfortunately, judge that one on its own, but. If you're someone who hasn't seen the 2018 film, I think that the 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 one with Gyllenhaal is good. It's solid, you know. Yeah, I hadn't seen it. Yeah, the original, so I took it out as a fresh face. Now I want to go back to see it to see how it compares. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's really good. the The original is really good, uh, but I'm a huge Gyllenhaal fan too. So that's what makes I, it worthwhile. I, yeah, I, I can see him working in that role. And it's funny you're, you're sitting there watching, and all of a sudden. Hey, that's Ethan Hawke calling it. <laughs> but the character doesn't necessarily align with the person you perceive him to be. So, you know. Yeah. Hawke's finding this second string of, sin- no pun intended, sinisterness in his like <laughs> character portrayals that is very interesting. Because for years, that's never how I envisioned him, you know. Right. All righty. So I guess we go to Victor again. Victor, what you got for number three? Uh, number three, this is my first nine out of 10 uh, on the list and uh, we've already covered it. It's the suicide squad. And I just want to, just want to say one thing, uh, put it in context. I saw this on HBO max and I don't know if any of you guys have had this problem with HBO max streaming, but at one point I, I paused the movie to go to the bathroom or something. Mm. And when I came back, it would not let me back into the movie. Um, oh, no. And it that drove me nuts. And despite that experience of like watching the first half one day and the second half like early the next morning when it became available again, uh, I still loved it. So it's that good. <laughs> That's all I wanted to say. Victor, not only did it happen to me, it happened to me with this damn movie. <laughs> Oh no! I don't, I don't know if you were trying to watch it at the same night I was, which was the opening night of it. But it was uh, yes. my wife like threw her oh. arms up. We're like, we're done, and we would try to move forward, and it would just like it was. I'm, I'm having like uh, P- PTSD just thinking about it. But oh, uh, yeah, I didn't sorry. have it was like 20, 20 minutes trying to get the get access yeah. to the movie again, and finally it was just like, okay, I guess I'm doing something else tonight. Yeah. I didn't have that issue. I haven't had a problem honestly since my wife and I had a problem watching um, Wonder Woman 1984, where it was just like framey oh that was, was just, just the movie oh, oh okay oh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding yeah. oh what a garbage movie uh, um anyway that's that sucks victor <laughs> <laughs> i've seen it again since in yeah. one sitting yeah. and uh yeah it's great <laughs> oh, awesome and for if bill needs cool. one more reason to see it there's a there's a, a humanoid shark verse voiced by sylvester stallone <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, <yeah>. boy. <laughs> oh boy oh <laughs> boy can't wait for yeah. that one. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. So, uh, Nathan, what you got for number three? Okay, back to weird, obscure Japanese films. Uh, so my, <laughs> my number three is uh, 
from a director who's been very, very uh, prolific recently to the point that he had two movies in uh, 2021. Uh, Reisuke Hamaguchi, his movie is called Drive My Car. And oh, it's yeah. based off of a, a short story by Haruku Murakami, who's an excellent writer, I think, a great Japanese writer. I really recommend his book from uh, the mid-80s, uh, Norwegian Wood which is phenomenal. He's done a lot of great stuff. And he's done a lot of great short stories. And this is based off of those a very, very character driven. He, do, he writes in all kinds of genres. This one specifically is, is more of a drama, a drama. It deals with uh, Yusuke Kafuki, uh, who's a stage actor and a director uh, still unable after two years to cope with the loss of his beloved wife. He accepts to direct uncle Vanya at a theater festival in Hiroshima. And that setup covers the, the arc of the film, but the film uh, goes all over the place, it, and it's very meditative. This is another movie you're going to look up the running time, Bill, and you're going to see that it is another right, just short of three hours, and you're going to hear me describe it and think, do I want to sit through those three hours? Uh, a lot of this movie doesn't, it doesn't in fact take place inside of cars, uh, and, and particularly he meets this woman who is basically, she's been hired to drive him around as he's directing this play. And he's just trying to work and work and work and keep working to sort of stave off the grief that he is sort of trying to, 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 um, you know, outrun in a sense by, by working or just to ignore. And uh, as these rides, uh, you know, as these rides unfold during the course of the film, we start to learn more and more about what has happened, what is happening to these characters. And so again, you have a, here's a movie that's full of conversations. And then it's also not it's movie. It, it's a film that takes and gives the space that, that sort of open negative space to just experience the film long shots of things where stuff is still happening. This sounds like it could be a, a long slog, but it's not. It's um, I don't want to say it's breezy, but it's dreamlike. You sort of float through it and it's, expertly directed and expertly conceived and very rarely do and and victor you might have some insight on this as well very rarely with these kinds of more um cerebral or introspective short stories i find they're very hard to capture on film in such a way where you have as rich an experience as you do reading the story particularly someone yeah. uh like Murakami that is layers upon layers sort of of what he's doing with a story and with a lot of narrative and literary tricks it just quite frankly, don't work in a film unless you really have the film has so many different pieces and so many different uh, people with their own vision working on things for it to come together with that sort of like uh, synchronicity. And yet it does. And so these conversations that are happening in the car are fascinating. You get to see the opening. You get to see that time he has with his wife prior to things falling apart. And it creates this portrait that's very moving, that's very... Um, it's it's evocative it's life affirming it's also melancholy it's just what this world that he creates you feel uh i think of world building when we talk about genre films they can be so much fun sometimes because people are trying to describe a world to you that you don't understand you know we have to know how the spice works on dune right we need to know about the worms and all these things and so sometimes in the benefit of a sci-fi or a horror author is you have to really get in there so that we understand the, the contours of this. Sometimes when people are dealing with a normal, not normal, but a world, that, a, a story that seems mundane on its surface, that we're just going to sketch this out for you and we'll move on to the next thing. 
the Hamaguchi's approach and Murakami's approach when he writes is to write as if he's writing sci-fi or fantasy and he wants to give you the contours of this world and the details of this world even though technically I know about cars and I know about dogs and I know about all this other stuff uh but it creates a very compelling vision it, it creates a world that feels fresh I, I it, it's an art film yes and it, there's he takes some cinematic chances that pay off in big ways I thought it was the most like dramatically satisfying one of the most dramatically satisfying movies i saw this year wow uh, yeah i haven't seen it but uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the of the source not a, i haven't read the source material but i've read that author and he's great yeah and and this is the perfect director i think uh, to be paired with him because I, i've even seen a uh, an adaptation of norwegian wood and it was fine but it was clear that they didn't quite grasp you know what he was doing yeah <laughs> Yeah, anything with like a crime drug element, you know, it can either be really, really good or just really, really bad. So seems mm. like I'm going to go to the good side. There's no crime or drugs. It's it's just drama. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, oh, Bill, just Bill's adding stuff in there. It's, no, it's not a thriller. It's a, <laughs> the car's not. There's not a body in the trunk. There are there are revelations and you know and and there are some surprises, but 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 moderate. <laughs> I don't know okay. what movie See, you just heard me describe, but I thought it was a, a crime drug drama. No. Sorry, <laughs> that was the first draft of the script. Was the subtitle? The subtitle was "There's a body in the trunk." Drive my car drive, into drive the my car. There's a body in the trunk. Drive my car into the ocean. Yeah. So no. Oh. Nathan, um, where did you see this one? Because this was the one I wanted to get to the most, and I just couldn't find it. I anywhere. actually saw it at the theater. Um, it came for like one week, and thankfully, I live with like okay. five minutes from the theater, so my buddy's like, "It's playing at the theater," and we and we don't need to worry because no one's going to be in the theater, so we're going to be socially <laughs> exactly. distanced for sure. Exactly. That's the way Titan was. It was like, well, one week we saw yeah. drive my car, and then the next week we saw car drives me. So I was in two different experiences. <laughs> Yeah. And then you saw Tatane. Tatane. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, <laughs> that was the car drives me <laughs> movie. And apparently I've learned that there's another sentient car has relations with people movie that, out this year called King Car, but I haven't seen that one yet. Whoa. So, yeah, whoa. <laughs> that one seems like it is more of a Christine vibe, but I will. Uh, we'll, we'll have to cover that at some point. But Drive My Car is none of those things. But it's a wonderful movie. I think. I think. I think everybody here is listening. Not, or I don't know if everyone's listening, but I think the three of you will appreciate the film if you get a chance to see it. So, and, and can I find a body? Is there a body there? <laughs> you got to discover it. I can't give away everything. <laughs> the body you find may be your own, Bill. Sorry if that's a, oh, is that no. metaphysical enough or threatening enough. I don't know. <laughs> Number two, Trey. <laughs> okay. Um, my number two is a very pretentious film, um, pretentious enough to be in black and white in a four, three aspect ratio. Um, <laughs> and it is kind of a re-release. It is Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League. And oh. <laughs> to give you kind of a background of um, the DC universe, I'm a huge, um, I'm into, I've been into all things comics and superheroes and things since I was young. And I feel like, Nathan, what you said earlier, where it's just never quite been there for most of the movies that we've seen come out. Yeah. And the thing about the Snyder Cut is it turns these, whereas Marvel, we're seeing like the human side and all their uh, follies and everything like that. With Snyder Cut, we are seeing these people set up basically as gods. These people are just these celestial beings almost is the way they're treated. Um, 
I think this, I didn't really, I thought the Justice League was fine, the original version that came out. Um, I've been mixed on the DC films um, as far as I've liked a couple of them, like Aquaman and um, Wonder Woman. But for the most part, I haven't really liked what Snyder's done, and I'm kind of hit or miss on Snyder in general. Um, But I think with this film, he takes a lot of time to do it, but he fleshes out the backstories of all these characters, and we get to see things that we didn't necessarily see because we didn't have, when Justice League came out, we didn't have a backstory for Aquaman. We didn't have a backstory, in this universe anyway. Um, We didn't have backstory for The Flash or Cyborg. And they're doing it kind of opposite of Marvel as they tried to do it all in one film. And you can't do that in a two hour movie. So Snyder kind of takes everything um, that he wanted to say, because, you know, tragically he had to drop out of justice league um, and hand it over to Joss Whedon because his um, daughter had passed away unexpectedly. And I think he got the chance to kind of pour his heart and soul into this. And the epilogue it sets up is amazing as well. Um, I would have liked to see kind of where the Snyderverse so-called went, but at the same time, um, like I said, I was hit or miss on his other things. So I think this is kind of the perfect movie to encapsulate what DC could be. Yeah, I I liked it. I liked the Snyder cut. Mm -hmm. I did too. And I didn't, I agree with a lot of what you said uh trey about snyder is hit or miss for me i thought that movie sucker punch was maybe one of the (laughs) the worst things ever to nearly cause me a seizure uh but um i and 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 i really disliked batman versus superman like a lot a lot the more um, I watch it, the less I like it. It made me angry, like watching it. Like I was like, "Why? I don't even care about this. <laughs> Why am I getting mad?" Uh, yeah. But then, and the Justice League, I just didn't care when it came out. By the time it came out, and it seemed yeah. like such a hatchet job. Uh, and the Snyder Cut was legitimately good and exciting, and a lot of things that I had said talking about Spider Man in a different way. You're right. It that's the that's the confounding thing about it is I remember years ago George Miller was on to direct this movie uh and I, i'd still wonder what that would have been like right and yet yeah, in that... some ways there's moments of grandeur in the snyder cut is that a child or a cat who's back there mm-hmm. i was gonna say hmm. sorry oh nope that's a cat see i have lots of sound makers <laughs> these days my cats are freaky i walked in the other day and my cat was standing on the kitchen table with its paws up in the mirror just looking at itself and it would Duck its head down and duck its head back up, and uh, oh, yeah. and then the twin the cat came over next to it, and then they were both doing it. So now there were four cats staring at each other in <laughs> mirrors, going on for all eternity. But anyway, uh, back to the, this movie. There's moments in it that are just, you, you just look at it and you're like, man, you guys really missed the boat. Like prior to this, yeah. like this is this is this is what you should have been. This is your angle. Like they're gods. Yep. This is a Greek drama writ large. These are who these characters are. I like all these different versions. I'm super excited about the Batman movie, but mm-hmm. this particular take, this is like super friends on steroids. And I like the fact that the villain was this crappy CGI Moppet in the other like version. And yeah. in this one, he's a completely different character. And he's almost mm-hmm. like, they find this great like space for him where he's like a drone. Like he's a middle management guy. <laughs> Yeah, and someone's pulling his strings this. behind the scenes. And, and he just wants to, to finish his crap job and go home. Like, that's a genius. 
And there's yeah. so many wonderful moments in the the kind of epicness of the of of them pulling, and then the fact that Batman finally makes sense why he's so angry and disgruntled is he's he's compensating the entire movie because he's surrounded <laughs> with these supercharged yeah, exactly. people, and suddenly the, the the like Mad Affleck Batman makes sense, and you're like, okay, uh, yeah, so many things just clicked into place watching it. Yep. I would have loved to see an R-rated Ben Affleck Batman because yeah. I think he's got that just level of crotchetiness that would have just worked. And yep, yeah, I, I had no problems with him. It's just they didn't do anything with him in the previous movie. And no, um, no, and the, the the cyborg that you know you realize how much of that character was supposed to be in this film, and you're like, what? Exactly. Happened? So much of that was cut out by Whedon, yeah, or whoever was. Yeah, that that whole production was a mess. But you're right. They missed their chance. They could have had something huge if this would have come out three years ago like this. Yeah. Um, and they could have continued on. And it was great where they were setting up where it could go. But I don't think we'll ever see. And that. I like the miniseriesness of it, because when it came out, it it was, you know, it, it almost harkened back to remember when the good miniseries used to play on television. It was a big event. Like, that's kind of how mm-hmm. this felt when I finally got yep. to watch it. Yep. Maybe it was the aspect ratio. I don't know. <laughs> that, it took me a while to get over yeah, that. That, that was dumb. but <laughs> Yeah, I wonder why they did that. Uh, and, and for a second, Trey, I thought you were talking about the tragedy of Macbeth, but <laughs> it followed the same rules. But um, <laughs> You're right. You're right. It, it, was, <laughs> it was an unusual choice. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> All righty. So I will go with my number two. Good choice there, Trey. I went with one. It's my third documentary on my list, which I've always loved documentaries, but I found this year was a particularly strong year for them. And again, this is another sit on the couch with the wife. It was actually her choice. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go with this. It's a movie called 14 Peaks. Nothing is impossible. A Netflix film. Here is the description. Fearless Nepali mountaineer near Mal Persia embarks on a seemingly impossible quest to summit all 14 of the world's 8,000 meter peaks in seven months. It's one of those where it's the journey and uh, against impossible odds, he's able to overcome adversity, the elements, money, Uh, family things whatever was thrown at him he's able to do it and able to mount these terrifically tall mountains and everybody knows about the mount everest in k2 but i didn't realize all the other tall mountains there are in the world and this man nirmal purja was formerly in the british military his dad was one of the British Gurkhas, a very, very highly valued British troop. And he became the first Nepalese to be in the special forces of the British army. But he was, he got to a certain point where he was only, he was less than 10 years away from full pension, etc., And he quits. He'd been shot at. Uh, he almost died. And he kind of had a life revelation and he wanted to fulfill his hiking dreams of going up mountains. And he had to raise money. He had to train. He had to do what he had to do. His wife, ultra supportive of him, did what he had to do 
and climbing these 14 peaks, the cinematography is absolutely breathtaking. You feel like you're on those journeys with him. And he's not exactly one of these guys who plays by all the rules. He knew he had a limited time frame to do these, and he would go up the mountains on routes that other people necessarily didn't go on. And everywhere he'd stop along the way, if the media was following him, he'd use it as an opportunity to talk about what he was doing and try to raise some money. But for the most part, he was driven. Uh, There's a really good sequence of him at K2 where people weren't going up the mountain because there were rumors that there was going to be an avalanche coming and the weather was going to turn, but he only had X amount of days to do this. So he just decided just to go create his own path and climb the second highest gosh darn mountain in the world. And he did it. And he did 13 of them. His last one was a mountain in China and it was called the Shishapanga. And the government wasn't letting anybody up on it because nobody had been allowed on there for a number of years, but he only had X amount of days to do this. And through Instagram, social pressure, and doing press conferences and interviews, the Chinese government relented and let him up. And he got it done. And it's absolutely brilliant. This, I can't recommend this documentary high enough. I think that Nathan has seen it. And really call me cheesy you like that little guy getting to the top of the mountain this literally is the little guy he's not <laughs> a big man getting to the top of the mountain what do you what what says you nathan on this one this is a great movie this is this is very good bill this is an awesome choice and it is visually stunning and it's uh it's also very visceral like you're in it like it's a it's an experience and it's one too that you know i saw it and I'm like man i love to have seen this in a theater right like this is this is IMAX level. This is level. perfect for IMAX. Yeah. One of the things that's cool that stands out about this movie, uh, and you mentioned, you know, it is the story of a little guy. It's the story of this guy. It is. But so often we see some of these stories. And I'll be honest, you know, there are some of these. I think they're always fascinating. They're always interesting. And sometimes you see these people and you're like, yeah, but you're a little, you're kind of a jerk. You know, you're kind of a, you know, some of these people, they're so, in, I guess in some ways they almost have to be that they're so, um, like kind of self-absorbed in a sense that they're, I'm going to climb this mountain. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. And maybe, and and the filmmakers kind of hone in on them because they're such this, they're, they're, they're such a character that they're kind of the one-stop show. What's interesting about this is this movie expands and you get to see how this connects to the, the Nepalese people and how, you know, it is a culture related to, to this thing that he's doing and his team, his team of the Sherpas that are with him they incorporate them as well. So it, it, it's not this, here's the one guy who climbed this mountain kind of movie. It expands and it, it's about the community and the team and everything else that are surrounds him, that allows him and supports him doing this. Um, that's the cool, one of the coolest things about it outside of all the beautiful imagery. And the other thing is there's a story there where I, th- I think it was on Everest, but I could be mistaken where he was climbing up and another mountaineer got caught halfway up the mountain yeah and the uh helicopters were very reticent about going up there one the height two the wind three the time of night he had already uh, done the summit and went on his own at his own peril back up amongst the air pressure and the darkness and the weather conditions 
to pull this guy out. Oh. Yeah, that's the kind of so, stuff that sets this one apart. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can't recommend this enough, Victor or Trey, if you haven't seen this one. I'll see it. Yeah, I haven't. I've slacked on my documentaries this year. I pretty much only watched the folk horror documentary, I think. <laughs> oh, that was good. Yeah. Let's put it this way. Jen and I have to compromise a lot. <laughs> this was a compromise choice that I was happy with. <laughs> Same. <laughs> All righty. So, Victor, what gets you to number two? Number two was Dune. Uh, I believe Trey has already eloquently said pretty much everything that I would say. And it got a nine out of ten from me. I would say well, the, the only experience better than this movie, which is about Dune, is just reading the book. <laughs> so, the uh, Victor, for it to be your number two, if you were to kind of figure out what was the one thing about it that made you love it, how could you sum that up in a sentence? Well, I think um, I think after watching Jodorowsky's Dune and all the nightmares that went with David Lynch producing and, and directing Dune. Uh, I was really starting to go to think, yeah, this is maybe a, a movie that should never be made. Like it's something that works on, uh, on the page, but doesn't work on film. And uh, Denny Villeneuve proved me wrong. He did it. I think that he did it by just omitting the character arcs or almost omitting completely uh, two of the characters that are are the 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 lesser important characters in in the uh in the story uh and that's how he got around it and then uh Nathan like you said just making an extremely faithful adaptation of the movie and on top of that it's just i mean one thing it has that the book doesn't have is insanely nice visuals and beautiful audio um great soundtrack uh, Zimmer really went to work on this. He created some instruments for the soundtrack and it, it sounds unique um, and it looks unique. And I, I didn't agree with absolutely every choice that Villeneuve make, made, uh, but I understood why he made them. So I, I have nothing but respect for this movie. And to follow up on that, um, if you haven't seen Jodorowsky's Dune, that's that's a great little film. I love that. Yeah, yeah it's it's really cool. It's neat. Just to think about uh, Orson Welles as, as Baron Harkin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess one other thing I wanted to say was um, I think that uh, the the new Dune movie definitely had, uh, they, they sort of tipped the hat to Lynch's movie and Jodorowsky's uh, attempt to make the movie on a couple of occasions. Like there's some production art from, uh, you know, from uh, uh, Mobius that you see on Paul's uh, computer yeah. at at some point in the game in the in the movie, and the costumes. If you were thinking, like when you saw those first stills from Dune, and it was like Duke Leto in the the green uh, military uniform, and you're like, oh, did they just superimpose Oscar Isaac's face on, <laughs> you know, uh, a scene from Lynch's Dune? Um, right over Jordan Proc now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. Um, but no, they, they took the costuming, which was one of the things that was amazing uh, about du- uh, yeah. Lynch's movie. Um, and used a lot of the same uniforms. So that scene yeah, it's, too, it's when great. he's, when, when the Benny Jesuits are bringing him in uh, and, you know, there's the, the whole 
fear is the mind killer speech and him putting his hand in the butt. You know, that the way mm-hmm. that is visualized is very similar to to mm-hmm. uh, Lynch's Dune. Yeah. Yep. Highly recommended. Nine out of ten. Yeah, it's awesome. It's it's better I, I, than I we think, could I, have I, expected. <laughs> I was going to say, and, and now I think we've detailed that movie to death. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nathan, if you say yours is... No, you already said Dune. What is your number two, Nathan? My number two is Licorice Pizza by Paul Thomas Anderson. And it's a coming-of-age drama. It's uh, it, it kind of covers a whole space of time, and it begins in... 1973 in the San Fernando Valley in California. And you have the 15 year old boy, Gary Valentine is the character's name. And he's a, he's also like a child actor and he strikes up this relationship with this, uh, with this woman, Alana, who's 25. And that of course, right from the get go is one of these things where you're like, okay, this is interesting. And where is this going? And it is a relationship. He's, he's, you know, attracted to her. He's trying to, uh, in his 15-year-old way, start a relationship with her. She is, you know, recognizes that, puts the brakes on, and it's not as if this film is about some sort of, uh, you know, sexual tryst between the two of them. There is a lot of tension in that area, but it it details this relationship and this back and forth over a, over a period of time. So it, it beginning, the beginning of this film does feel like you're going to get one of those everything happens in a day sort of, uh, you know, two characters wandering around in a before sunrise kind of, uh, you know, space. But that's not what happens. We see these characters over a period of time. And we see uh, there's lots of other characters that that kind of come into the film. And there is a lot of uh, not autobiography, but there are characters that exist in real life. Like there's a John Peters... <laughs> Bradley Cooper has two great performances in 2021. One of them is in Nightmare Alley. The other one is in this where he's basically playing John Peters as his, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Gary's kind of uh, dealing with him. And he's such a character on his own. Every scene he's in is wonderful. It does have that slice of life coming of age. Everything is just sort of unspooling on itself that I think Thomas An- Paul Thomas Anderson could do really well. He's he's done many movies. Uh, I think some people either uh, love or hate some of the things he's done. I personally love him most of everything he's done, including uh, some of his his movies that maybe border on the outrageous. Movies like Magnolia are where I think he sort of uh, you know comes to the fore. I, I love the excesses of that film. I think I don't think there's many excesses in Licorice Pizza. But it's just a wonderful snapshot. It really, really get into these characters. And the fact that there's not you're not watching this movie where you feel warm and fuzzy about the the behaviors, there's a psychological reality to these sorts of situations that they find themselves in. That this is not he's not trying to make a primer for how a 15-year-old should date, you know, somebody like 10 years older than him. <laughs> uh, but he's recognizing the fact that that when you're younger, sometimes you do attempt to do things like this, particularly if you feel you're older than you are. And what does that look like? And and um, how does life sort itself out? And it feels incredibly um, realistic at points. The soundtrack, Bill, you're on the soundtracks. Soundtrack here is fabulous. The way it's interwoven into the film is amazing. I think it was just top-notch filmmaking all around. Uh, my favorite, some of my favorite movies that he's done, you know, he's done... 
Uh, I mentioned Magnolia. The way he interjected music into that film was wonderful. Inherent Vice. This one feels a lot like Inherent Vice in some ways. Uh, not as drug, drugged out and sort of meandering, but uh, I think it's I think it's one of his best movies. It's right up there. You know, there there will be blood and Magnolia, and this one is just as accomplished. I feel. I don't want to give too much of it away because a lot of it's just experiencing these characters. There's Tom Waits shows up, Sean Penn shows up. I mean, and he weaves it all through these performances of, of these two characters and they are, they're great. Uh, Elena Hans has, this is her film debut and she's great in the movie. They, the chemistry between these characters as, as uh, who are building this friendship. It's just, uh, it's amazing work. Yeah, this is one that's been on my radar a while. I haven't gotten to it yet, obviously, because the theaters here aren't open. But anything that can bring out Sean Penn. <laughs> I was curious, how how does he do in this film? Because I haven't heard of him, honestly. I can't remember the last time. I mean, he's good. Everyone here is a piece. And I think, I think that's one thing that I think Anderson's really good at, is taking an ensemble and making them part of the DNA of the film in such a way that uh, unless you're really, unless you're doing the opposite, like a there will be blood where Daniel day Lewis is supposed to dominate everything else that's happening. Mm -hmm. You know, unless that's the goal, I think that to me, this is, this director is one of the best directors of taking ensemble and making them all sing in just the right way that the, 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 the song that comes out of it, is what's beautiful. You do recognize you're able to pick all the voices out, but you recognize that it's not, it's not about, Oh, this one person or that one person. And uh, I think that's, what's wonderful about the movie. Yeah. Um, uh, PT Anderson's kind of hit, hit and miss for me. Um, I, it, I was about to say like when he, when he's got a likable protagonist, I'm into the film when he doesn't, I'm not. Uh, but Magnolia is an exception. I I didn't really like any of the characters in Magnolia, but I love that movie. Yeah, but there's um, two I like. So, there are two characters in there that I feel like are the the doorways in the the, the Philip Seymour Hoffman character and the um yeah. oh the uh, what's his name John C Riley character because they're the two yeah. helpers. They're the the caregivers, and everyone else is broken up in pieces. That, that's true. Yeah, John C Riley is, is really likable in yeah. in that. Uh, that's true. Um, but yeah, I, that's, that's cool. I haven't seen licorice pizza, but I, I would love to see it. Now. This one's going to, this yep. is going to fall more on that other side, Victor, the, with, with the likable characters, I, the people that no. you no. like spending time with these people. I did anyway. And, uh, maybe there will be, you know, there will be blood, you know, <laughs> I, I enjoyed that <laughs> yeah, film, I mean, but I didn't enjoy, you know, spending time with, uh, Daniel Plainview. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a chore. <laughs> Yeah, those are there. He's awful, but um, <laughs> but I, I but he was thrilling to watch. Yes, yes yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was exhausting. That's yeah. the, the way to put it. Yeah, yes. Has Paul Thomas Anderson done anything since Inherent Vice? Licorice Pizza. Oh yeah, look, no, yes, he did. <laughs> he did the Phantom Thread, which I wasn't as big a fan of. Oh, uh, yeah. I didn't. Did you see that one, Victor? Yeah. No, I haven't seen it yet. Um, yeah, interesting. And he before that he did the it's on my the list. Mad. It's a great soundtrack. Yes, yeah, it is a good movie. I don't. I haven't. There's none of his. I think that I just don't like it all. But there are ones that I'm like, yeah, you know, it's kind of a shoulder shrug for me. I um, Inherent Vice, I loved. I didn't like The Master as much. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I'm kind of there. I'm hit or miss on P.T. Anderson. I 
love There Will Be Blood, and I like Punch Drunk Love a lot, but uh, The Master, stuff like that, yeah, just hit off. But I wanted to see this when it just was a victim of too many things coming out at the yeah. same time in the theater, and I only have so many chances to go, so... Now, will I, feel, will I feel like a dirty old man watching this film? No. I don't know. I can't speak. I guess, <laughs> you? you know, I can't talk. I don't know what your experience is going to be, per se. You know how often you feel no, but, that way. But, but I mean, that, that, was, that was one of the one of the controversies. I wouldn't say controversy, <sighs> but one of the aspects of it that came out was the age difference between the... Yeah, the and you know, and the thing is, the movie actually is like dealing with that in a... When I say realistic way, it's, it, again... This isn't a movie of when you read the, you know how you have these movies and the problem with people making complex movies is when they do people who don't want to think complexly about a movie, make a comment because they wrote, they read a half of a paragraph in USA today about it. And then they're, they're suddenly critics of the film. And I think what you're hearing is that, you know what I mean? I don't think you're hearing that from anyone who's necessarily watched the movie at large. You may walk out with some feelings about it and think, well, you know, I don't know about this or that, but I think the movie at large is not whatever blurb Fox News or whoever's running about the, about the film, you know. <laughs> gotcha. So take it as for what it is and make it up your own. Yeah, well, Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't make movies that are supposed to be like captured in three or four blurbs on Entertainment Tonight or something, you know. Very true. <laughs> All righty. Well, it hits that time, gentlemen. We're at our number one position. Whoa. <laughs> number one <laughs> position. <laughs> Number one, number one, number one. So, Mr. Whetstone, what says you as your top film that wasn't horror for 2021? Yeah, so for my number one, um, might have already guessed where it is from earlier, but this is something I think it's the best in its series of films, and I think it's the best in its entire kind of universe that it lives within. Um, and that is Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, so I agree 100% with Nathan when you're saying that I've never really loved a Spider-Man film. I mean, up until the, except for um, Into the Spider-Verse, which had been my favorite up until this point. Um, but all of them I kind of like, but I can't point out one of any of the Spider-Man series where I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, that's a top of the list type of movie. And I feel that way almost about the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. I like all the movies. I usually watch all of them. But none of them have really risen, even like the um, Endgame or those kind of those Avengers movies at the end, um, haven't really risen to this level. And the thing about Spider-Man here is it takes like so many pieces. I, I don't want to say too much about it, but... It just it does create like a multiverse. It lets you have all these feelings and relive all these things, and it doesn't really leave any stone unturned, um, is I guess how I'll say it. And really, I think it's the characters that shine throughout this, and it gives some characters second chances um, where maybe if they didn't hit the first time, they're a lot better this time around. Um, again, I don't want to get into too much more about this, but I just absolutely love this film. I didn't expect to love this film as much as I did. Um, but I did. So that's my number one for the year. Nice. And, and you can't argue with what your heart tells you. Yep. It's an awesome I'm choice. That's a, honestly, if they nominated this movie to one best picture, I wouldn't even care. I wouldn't be mad. 
Yeah, I knew my top of the list. It was kind of like my horror list, too. You get to the top, and it's kind of... I just couldn't keep um, these kind of bigger movies off of it, so... And this, and when these, we you know the thing is, everyone come, no, not everyone, but the people who do, like myself, who sometimes complain about this aspect of a comic book movie or this aspect, when you do it right, I'm gonna have to give you the credit. You know, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not a Martin Scorsese or a Ridley Scott that doesn't think <laughs> yeah. you can achieve great filmmaking with a comic book movie. You can, and I think they did. Um, I think they did here. And one of the cool yeah. things. The friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, the kind of person Peter Parker is supposed to be, they capture that here. They do it in such a brilliant way that, you know, at the end of the day, it's the person he is inside that is driving this, you know, more than any of the, I think, some of the other comic book characters. And what they've done to give this series its Uncle Ben moment, this new MCU series, was oh, yeah. spot on brilliant. Like I And I don't say brilliant very often when I talk about these movies, but there's so much that's just working perfectly in this in this movie yep and it gave me nostalgia for things i never knew i had nostalgia for I so know, i know there was a moment when i teared up and i'm like why oh, I, did, I know what you're talking <laughs> yes. about i know i'm like <laughs> that was perfect <laughs> i know i'm with my wife and i'm kind of like turning my head in the theater i'm like no no and that one but, two how they did it is exactly the way a comic book would have done it the pan you know the panel shot it would have been exa- it was yep I, i'm like it's great yep <laughs> great choice mm. Alrighty, so my number one, Buddy Rich guitar uh, drum solo. <laughs> Speaking of comic book characters, a chaotic battle ensues between Jerry Mouse and Tomcat. Tom and Jerry, no. What? What are you even doing? I'm blowing my mind right now. <laughs> I was gonna say Chloe Grace Moretz, and then you go, "Oh, it's that other one, uh, right?" Yeah. <laughs> that was genius, Bill. I don't know what you just did, but it was genius. <laughs> well, what I chose was one that I'd watched. Oh, I'd say about six months ago for Land of the Creeps, and it sat there, and it sat there, and I couldn't dethrone it. And I know at least Nathan has seen this. I'm sure the other two have seen this. And this is 2021, No Man of God. Good. The complicated relationship that formed between the FBI analyst Bill Hagermeyer and serial killer Ted Bundy during Bundy's final years on death row. Directed by Amber Seeley, who honestly hadn't done anything else that I had heard of, but it stars Elijah Wood, Robert Patrick and Luke Kirby and some others. What ended up happening in the late seventies, the FBI started profiling and studying violent offenders to learn from them and create a database of what happened, how they think, how they can create future prevention strategies based on what they learn. And Bill Hegmeyer played by Elijah Wood, was amongst the first set of people that were plucked off the FBI investigative list to head up this, not head up the organization, be a, but be a key member. And he was quite young at the time, from at least the way it's portrayed. And they were dicing out which serial killers amongst in the U.S. prison system they wanted to get their heads into. And nobody wanted to touch Ted Bundy. He was very difficult to deal with. Nobody else had built up a relationship with him. 
he was very antagonistic and just a surly guy and or you just didn't believe what he had to say because he'd give off a lot of false clues and he just wanted to get out of prison however he could by telling whatever he wanted to well hagmeyer develops a relationship with him and when elijah wood first comes in he gets the typical brush off by bundy but he didn't get scared and i think bundy appreciated that the acting in this is absolutely brilliant i thought elijah wood i it's my favorite role he's ever done i think elijah wood was great but luke kirby as ted bundy obviously studied the interviews and the uh old newsreel footage of it because his mannerisms are spot on not that i'm I'm any kind of expert at it at all but the limited that i've seen he was spot on and it takes you through that journey of his last i don't know what it is last year or two of his life that he's getting studied until the day that he goes down with the gas chamber and elijah wood as bill hagmeyer was the one non-legal or police personnel that was allowed in there with him and ted bundy chose him and it's just it's one-on-one it's not a horror and there's not a lot of action you're not going to get any gory death scenes you're not going to get any salacious uh documentary footage you're simply going to get a relationship between an officer and ted bundy and how they get to that final stage that we all know that happened that fateful day in florida I thought it was absolutely brilliant film. Nine out of 10 could go higher on a second, third, fourth viewing. I can't recommend this high enough. I don't know what you guys thought of it. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but I can't wait. And, and a nice, a a nice small role by Robert Patrick. Hmm. I'll watch just about anything. Robert Patrick's in. He's he's good in this. He's great. Uh, and this is, you know, my thing with Ted Bundy movies, particularly the last couple of years, is like it just makes mm-hmm. my skin crawl in a sense, you know, usually uh, because there's always that that sense where there's this kind of mythology that's built as Ted Bundy. He's the smartest guy in the room. You know, it's a weird sort of fascination slash admiration, but we're not really admiring him kind of song and dance that they do. And this movie largely avoids all of that by doing all the things Bill just mentioned it does, where it creates this relationship between the two of them that's back and forth and it's very fascinating and it's very well acted and i think it's about the best that you would ex- you could hope for something in terms of dealing with this subject matter uh in, in a way that i think that is effective and accurate and doesn't sort of uh you know kind of mythologize bundy in a way that i think unfortunately some of these other productions have done and personally no, what I like about it is it humanizes Bundy, but you do not empathize with Bundy. Hmm. It kind of walks that yeah. fine line of, you know, you try to get a little bit in his head and you don't like him, but you kind of get where his point of view is, but you still think he's leading you down a trail that you're not going to follow. Right. In humanizing, it actually makes it more banal and facile and, and you know, sort of, uh, and, and and diseased in the way that he that, you know that, that i believe him to have been and so there is this sensibility that you know because sometimes people assume humanize and sympathize and that's not really what we're talking about here and i think you're right bill that's what makes it work have you, did you see this one trey no i didn't i kind of got 
burnt out. I know a couple, what was that one a couple years ago? Um, but I watched that with my wife and I'm yeah. just like, I don't know if I, <laughs> That's how I, I want to watch too. anything. <laughs> but Bill was very <laughs> insistent. And I think he, I think he's right that this is, um, okay. and, 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 and Wood's character is, it is as much a focus, if not more, than Bundy. So that's what makes this work. This is not a Ted Bundy retrospect kind of movie, you know. Okay. No, this is this isn't a kill yeah. count movie. Yeah. This yeah. is more the relationship that develops as a result of it. So okay, well, I'll check uh, that one but, out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's 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 not like that one. Uh, what was the one that was out two years ago on Netflix? Yeah, that's the one. I was, it's like Ooh. extremely extremely vile. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, had, like it had like the child actor. I think <laughs> Zach like Efron or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The child yeah, actor. It. Yeah, yeah. But whatever. That's the one yeah. I was talking about, Bill. That I yeah. watched yeah. with my wife. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I mean, this yeah. to me, to me, I like. I'm not one of those people that you know uh, puts these people in celebrity status. To me, this was the best portrayal of Bundy since Mark Harmon. I think it had been that long since the one back in 1986 or whatever is the made for TV. Movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. To catch a killer. So it was called to catch yeah. a killer, whatever it was way back when it was, I remember watching on ABC. Yeah. This is very, before. this is very even handed and it is good. Yeah. Alrighty. So on that positive note, <laughs> what do you got for us, Victor? Well, it's more death. I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, the the number one movie, the movie that that in in a year of movies that revitalized my faith in the movie industry, <laughs> um, the number one movie that made me think that um, was The Spine of Night. I, I would have and, been disappointed uh, if it was anything else. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, Nathan, thank you uh, for reminding me that the Steelbook Blu-ray is available for pre-order. I ordered it. I did as well. <laughs> <and>, uh, <laughs> me. It'll be here next week. Um, of course, you all listeners will be hearing this uh, a little bit after that, but it'll probably still be available. So, and I believe it's it. coming to um, Shutter too, isn't it? it is. Yeah, it's coming to Shutter at some point. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's awesome. I mean, of uh, of all the wrong turns, adult oriented fantasy, I think, has <laughs> taken since Conan the Barbarian in nineteen eighty two. I, I feel like these guys righted everything. Like they they exactly get what um, people who are consumers of gritty, violent fantasy stories want, and really make it in a familiar yet revolutionary way. With it's an animated film. It's uh, it's done with rotoscope techniques, which sort of recall movies like Fire and Ice and. Uh, heavy metal, um, but it's also its own thing that's instantly recognizable as the work of uh, Morgan Galen King. Um, now he he did a, a preview movie that uh, anyone can see on YouTube uh, called Exordium, and um, it is uh, about it, one of the same characters appears in it. But the Spine of Night is a, it's a great title, by the way. It, it's it's about a a swamp witch, which is um, played by the voice of Lucy Lawless, uh, who climbs this impossible peak uh, to speak with this gatekeeper, this sort of immortal gatekeeper, uh, about the nature of this blue flower that uh, is now becoming popular again on in the land. And um, it's it's not set on Earth. It's you know it, it's a Earth-like um, sort of medieval world. 
But um, the two characters sort of start dueling um, words. And uh, the second time I saw this, it just dawned on me that the this movie is really about storytelling. It's, um, th- you know, that's that's the key that these two characters use to get into each other's, um, to find each other's weaknesses, to, you know, sort of develop each other's characters. And uh, there's there's a scene in the middle of the movie, which is, um, it's very brief, but it's very effective, about this young couple that are in love, and they their town has been laid siege, and they're just waiting for the invaders to find them and kill them. And they look up at the sky and they say, oh, the spine of night. And it's, it's sort of the strip of the universe that you can see in this, in this, in this world without, you know, anything other than torch and lantern light. Uh, and you can see the stars really clearly that kind of gather in this sort of strip in the sky. And, you know, they, they get really philosoph- uh, philosophical and they're, they're going like, well, this is going to be the story of us, you know, and they, they have the flower and they take it. And the flower, uh, the flower's ability is it, it's really hard to explain, but it basically makes the user of the flower um, able to dream whatever they want into reality. Uh, now, if that's not storytelling, I don't know what is. Um, it's, it's you know, a, a clever metaphor. And obviously, the, the way the filmmakers uh, impart this, this idea is to make uh, an anthology movie. Um, these are the stories of the Swamp Witch versus the Guardian. And uh, each one sort of tells a different point in history. And the flower is sort of the, the through line throughout all the stories. Um, but the bookends of the the two characters sort of dueling stories uh, is what brings it all together. And visually, I mean, the, the the music is like ambient metal, perfect. The voice talent, top notch. They're 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 fantasy fans that are also great um, great actors, great voice actors. And uh, it's got comedy. It's insanely violent. So um, you know, it's not a family film. No. Um, I, I would say the, the the one thing that the one strike against is that the the rotoscope technique makes the violent scenes seem really surreal uh, because they look like they're happening in slow motion, but um, it also makes it an incredibly bloody. Uh, and if you are looking for a you know fire and ice type experience, that it gives it gives you that. Um, but anyway, I got to hand it to yeah Morgan Galen King and Philip Gillott. Uh, really made this a masterpiece. And it's proof that, you know, an independent film can be, you know, a favorite to the most expensive film, you know, Dune that was made uh, last last year. So, yeah, I really tip my hat to these guys. They know exactly what they're doing. I can't wait to see what they do next. Um, Yeah, Spine of Night. Nathan, I know that you probably have a few thoughts on this film. I love that. You go back a couple episodes and you can hear my thoughts. I love this movie. And it was right there. It's kind of at a number 11 when we talk, you know, when we talk about uh, runners up, it's right there. It's, it's just, it was a great experience to watch it. It was uh, Victor. I think you had mentioned when you saw it originally, you're watching it and you're thinking it's like somebody kind of crawled in my head and made them made a movie just for me. <laughs> in a sense yes and that's the feel you know it's hitting those notes and it's hitting them the way you you want them to hit i think the thing the big takeaway for me was 
the storytelling was there. I had just finished reviewing Fire Nights and some of these other movies. And and there's a lot of, like, you know, I still have a lot of nostalgic love for them. But, you know, for me, in some of those older movies, the storytelling just wasn't quite there. And I think that's yeah. what's so valuable. What I value so much about The Spine of Night is that I think the storytelling is there. And it's, uh, and it's strong storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed this. And it was on my short list of honorable mentions. And for those of you that have listened to the podcast previously, you'll know my thoughts on this film, but you know that in my journey through this podcast, I don't come from a background of fantasy. So We're dragging Bill through. This was <laughs> dragging me Willingly, through. But I'm but... glad I'm being, I, I was going to say, I'm glad I'm being dragged because I get to every once in a while come across a film that sometimes changes perceptions. And this is one of those films. One of the characters I loved in this film was Lord Pyrant. <laughs> Patton Oswald, you could tell, and I think I probably said this in the last one, probably had a, a swig of whiskey or two, had a beer, got into this, and you could tell he was right into the character. Yeah, Patton's Absolutely great. A, a ton of fun with this. And it takes you all over the place. Uh, parental discretion advised. There is lots of full frontal female nudity, but it's not, as we discussed before, it's not sexualized. She just, that's happened though with be the way she I'm going to go up this insanely uh, crazy mountain naked. Yeah, insanely, insanely mountain, insane mountain that's high, and you know the the sky isn't the best. Yet I'll just let everything hang out and do my thing. <laughs> that's how it is. But it takes you on these wild. At times it gets trippy. At times it gets almost psychedelic. But then it harkens back to uh, you know loincloth and swords and things. It's it's a lot of fun. Trust me, if this is not your film and I am this high on it, it's worth watching. Trey, did you get the chance to see this? Yeah, I did check it out. Um, so the reason it didn't kind of make higher up my list is I kind of get very particular about animation. And for some reason, this was just not hitting with me. But the story of this film is pretty great. And... I don't know if I was on board at the beginning, but by the time it got to the end, I was very, I was sold on the story. Um, so yeah, it was just really the only thing keeping it back for me was the animation, but the story and um, the designs of this world and everything were great. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This is fantastic pick. So Nathan, what you got for us? Okay, we'll keep the fantasy streak running here. My number one movie, I saw it back in the summer, pretty much the moment I saw it, I had an inkling, um, or I, I thought, hey, this might end up being my number one, even though we had all those things on the horizon, like Dune and everything. Um, number one for me is David Lowry's The Green Knight, uh, the yeah. A24 uh, fantasy. It was, I think they tried to sell it as a horror film, which was probably the wrong sort of tact to take i think if you're trying to sell a movie to people i i wouldn't uh fault anyone for for kind of uh, putting it in that in the in the horror box but i think there's a lot more going on here it is obviously lowry's adaptation of sir gawain and the green knight a medieval uh poem that comes from the arthurian sort of legend and uh, deals with arthurian legend and takes place in the courts of king arthur on christmas day when uh, the Green Knight rides in to play a Christmas game with 
uh, with Gawain and with Arthur and the knights that are there. And of course, you know, detailing where that story goes, you can kind of look that up and read it and it, or take a, take a English uh, early literature class and you can read it there as well. And mm-hmm. you get to go through and analyze it. And it's an, it's an interesting poem because the poem is written at a time when chivalric sensibilities, the idea of chivalry, we know some of those themes come up. We talked about the last duel, these ideas of nobility and honor were actually something that was put into practice that the, that the story is supposed to reflect thinking at the time about when, when, when in an environment where nobility and chivalry were not just something we sort of scoffed at or rolled our eyes at, they were part of how you were, you were supposed to conduct and live your life. And so it's very interesting that how do you adapt the story that's meant to reflect that and even inform that uh, something that's happening in society this, you know, at this point in time in 2021, how do you make uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight and not make it an ironic or or, or sort of very uh, self-aware film? And I think Lowry does that by by telling a fantasy epic in a very naturalistic, very realistic way and then doing something interesting, which is to take the character and make them the opposite of what they appear to be in the in the actual poem which is that Gawain is not very chivalric he is not very noble nor does he think that he is or that he even really can be and he his sort of sense of failing is that he he has no confidence and and, and instills no confidence in in himself and anybody who's around him seemingly at the beginning and so this story you go on this journey with a character who doesn't seem particularly knightly it doesn't seem like he's likely to become so. And then the film takes a very long time spending uh, surrounding him with this very um, both detailed and dreamlike fantasy world where the characters he interacts with and the and the situations and trials that he comes across begin to create a perspective of well what is what what is more important in life you know is is honor important what is what uh, does it mean to have integrity and how does that look on a person who doesn't seem to even be willing to consider it, who can't seem to see beyond their own fear their own uh you know reticence and and to be told through a dreamlike story that features giants and kind of mushroom drug trips and talking foxes and beheaded spirits and you know and eventually a green knight that looks like he was literally carved out of the forest itself Uh, i thought that those magical elements fit in perfectly with these performances deb patel i thought was amazing in the movie and i felt entire time watching it from the musical choices the visual choices and the way lowry paces it for some i mentioned a i think the the movie goes a little slowly for me it had a perfectly dreamlike feel and it was interesting to spend time with this character who is not the knight you think they are and yet where the movie ultimately ends up i think was pitch perfect it is a movie that delves into has a lot of things on its mind and i think it delves into them in a very languid but enticing way and i thought it was a a, a magnificent sort of kind of companion piece to this poem that is kind of impenetrable in some ways to a modern a viewer or a modern audience and uh yeah everything it's one of the best fantasy films i've seen in a very long time i know that it might not be everybody's cup of tea it's certainly not the kind of fantasy film we were getting in the 1980s uh but i i love it 
Yeah, I have not seen it yet. <laughs> so <laughs> I will get to it. But again, it's one of those, there's only so much time in the day. But I do know that it's one that I had on my list to get to to try to cram in. I just didn't get to it. So over the next couple of months, I will make a point of getting it on my playlist. Yeah, I, I loved it. Everything you said is absolutely true, uh, Nathan. Uh, the one big issue I had with it was just from a story structure perspective. I, I felt like it actually should have been longer. I know it's a long movie, but if it had been a little longer, I think just in the first act, if they could have developed the either developed him one way or the other, either shown that he truly does have chivalrous, uh, you know, characteristics or show that he's a complete ass. I I just felt it was really unclear either way. Uh, And and so it took me a long time to sympathize with the character, even though the performance is great. Um, But uh, in order to really go on the journey with him, I felt that it didn't really happen for me until kind of midway through the movie, but it it is visually amazing. It sounds amazing. um, And it is very different than any other fantasy movie I've seen, but I liked it a lot. Victor, I'll echo um, the film finally clicked for me. I think when he was at the Lord and ladies um, house later in the film and from, it took a little while for me to get into it, but I think it really clicked there and just like Nathan said, the ending is really great. Um, and I love the design of the Green Knight itself. Like the design is incredible of the Green Knight. So Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think I, I agree exactly with what you're what you're saying there, Victor. And I think that that's that's part of the ambiguity, particularly in the early going. And I think that's almost purposeful is this question of he doesn't even understand who he is. But I think the decision then is made that we're not going to provide you with any illumination either. And so what I think for me, his initial, the initial uncertainty with him as this protagonist is sort of offset by the world that he's journeying in, at least up to where you mentioned Trey, when he gets to the, the Lord in the lady's house, which in a course of the poem, that is where he's truly tested in a sense. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but those journeys like through the wilderness, through the, the house where he he encounters a, a young woman and he encounters the, you know, um, the sort of uh, bandits in the, in the wilderness and, and the giants and all of those pieces that the world itself was sort of helping carry the film for me. Uh, seeing uh, Sean, um, oh, uh, his name, Sean Harris as, as King Arthur, as a kind of frail King Arthur, as a King Arthur I've never seen before, you know, the, those yeah. sorts of elements. I was, and, and Alicia Vikander, like, those pieces kind of carried me through so that I wasn't necessarily needing to rely on Gawain getting me there. And then I think his character builds and is developed and is seen from a few different angles, but um, it's a fascinating movie. And I think the thing that it has that one quality that I do that I've loved about so many of the movies we've talked about is that it feels rewatchable. It feels like you didn't get everything on the first viewing, you know, it's sort of not a disposable look. I'll just crumple up the wrapper and throw it in the trash. And that's, I'm done with this. You know, it, it feels uh, a little dense, I think. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, that's 10. Well, I don't know how many movies, cause I have what, like 14, but, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> right. A couple of movies and, uh, you know, Victor, I guess he had what, like 11 or, also, uh, yeah, know, 14. Yeah. yeah. So, 
I, I was gonna say, am I the only the only non-tire? No, I didn't do a tire. No, he did do a tire. Oh, either. you did. Yeah, okay, yeah. we're 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 the staunch traditionalists. <laughs> hey, <laughs> exactly. next year I'm just gonna straight up say top fifty, but uh, we'll make it we'll make it last three days. But um, I'd leave five movies off my list. Yes, I know. I yeah. So. <laughs> So, so basically, I, I, I'm just going to list every movie I watched. Bill's yeah. like, like, okay, I got 42. Um, <laughs> anyway, though, uh, seriously, uh, we'll go ahead and we'll talk about our honorable mentions if you have any. Trey, uh, honorable mentions, any runners-up you want to men- mention? Yeah, I'm going to shout out a handful or so here um, in no particular order, but I uh, already mentioned the card counter. Um, I really like the card counter. Um I said my piece on that, kind of. A pair of Netflix movies, I believe, were The Harder They Fall and The Dig. Mm-hmm. Um, the Harder They mm-hmm. Fall is a really cool, like, Western, almost like a neo-Western type movie. Uh, the only thing, I think some of the music sequences were a little jarring, and that's what left it off my list. But um, The Dig, I didn't expect to like, but that's got Ralph uh, Fiennes in it, and... Um, just a really cool kind of piece of history movie. Um, it's great. Let's yeah, see. I liked it. I liked um, both of those. Oh, good. Good. Um, Godzilla versus Kong. Um, huge Godzilla fan. I feel like this is much more of a King Kong movie than a Godzilla movie, uh, but it's always cool to see a big budget Godzilla film. Um, it was a lot of fun. It's fun yeah. to see Rebecca Hall in a Godzilla movie too. I gotta say. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a fun movie for sure. Um, I was going to say, Trey, uh, Trey, as a a Godzilla uh, and King Kong guy, did you even care about the intermittent story or just want to get to the fights? Um, I I did a little bit, even maybe more so than some of the other ones. Um, There was a particular character, and I think, was he like a conspiracy podcaster? Yes, he was. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) I really liked his character. Um, Yeah, I think maybe more than I normally do, but it's not going to like blow anyone away, but yeah, I liked the story a little bit. Okay. Um, and then to end it off, I had kind of a trio of anime films, um, Demon Slayer, Mugen Train, the movie, which is a kind of sequel movie, which I felt was better than the original series. So I really liked that. Um, Mobile Suit Gundam Hathaway, which is on Netflix and is kind of a spinoff of the, um, one of the Gundam timeline so giant robots um that's going to be like a three-parter so i'm looking forward to the other two parts in like 2024 and 2027 whenever whenever they're going to come out but um then the last one i saw was josie the tiger and the fish um i was hoping this was going to be like the your name or the weathering with you type of movie this year but it just didn't quite reach that level for me. But still, a good movie. Where is? I thought you were going to say Josie and the Pussycat. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, you know, Bill, I went back and forth on making a joke about that, but I just decided to leave. <laughs> Bill's got you covered. Um, <laughs> where can you find that last one, um, Trey? Um, it was in theaters, oh, okay. so I think it's it's getting a re- physical release in the next week or so. Nice. I think next week, so it yeah, should be okay. available to rent or something somewhere. Yeah, Soon. and I got to recommend um, in theaters right now. If you're an anime fan, Bell is really good. Yeah, I was to gonna. Yeah. I was gonna take mm-hmm. my daughter to go see that, but um, on Martin Luther King Day. But the movie theater kind of filled up a little, and being a two year old, I was kind of like, ah, I'll just wait. Yeah, yeah. But I appreciate that. It's a, it's a lot of fun, and particularly if you enjoyed Summer Wars and like the girl who left her time. So, mm-hmm. awesome. 
Yep, that's all I got. Bill, how about you? Uh, honorable mentions. Uh, my, uh, my first one off the list was The Harder They Fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was pretty good. Uh, Idris it, it, it Erba uh, had a, a small but uh, a memorable part. Uh, Jolt, uh, one on Prime with Kate Beckinsale and Stanley Tucci. Oh, yeah. About a girl with an anger problem and ele- <laughs> uh, electric zaps kind of stop it a little bit here and there. Uh, one I didn't mind that I don't consider horror, I considered action, was Don't Breathe too. I thought it was a, a decent one. Uh, I had The Spine of Night. Um, I had one with Sandra Bullock on Prime called The Unforgivable, which uh, was a pretty good uh, crime drama mystery kind of movie. One I really thought was fun was Army of Thieves, uh, about uh, the German guy from uh, Army of the Dead, of people trying to crack safes. Uh, one I, I told Nathan about that was, uh, I, I don't know which U.S. cable channel it was, but it was a made-for-TV movie, but it harkened back to the mid-90s, early 90s. They made a version of, in 2021 of Nash Bridges <laughs> with Don Johnson. Literally a Nash Bridges TV movie, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Literally. Yeah. You know, other than the fact that they're a little, I mean, Cheech shows it a, shows it a little bit more than on physically but Cheech is still there you know mentally and he's sharp and it, it was you know it's a made for TV movie with a little bit did more you see they had him running a dispensary in the new movie yes <laughs> they had him running a dispensary nice. as his side gig because he, he's quit the force and he's running a dispensary and, and Don Johnson had been kicked out of the force and they lure him back to try to catch a killer um, one that I had forgotten about on the documentary side, and I wasn't sure if it was 220 or 221, but I looked it up, it was 221, was the last blockbuster. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, I remember we reviewed uh, that one. I, I, again, yeah, I remember. I mean, it's not going to blow you away with anything, but anybody who above the age of 30, 35 is going to get something out of that. Uh, the one, uh, Nathan, that you and I reviewed, Stowaway. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that movie. Yeah, I like that, yeah. Yeah, about somebody. Anna Kendrick, uh, right? And it, that? Yeah. it goes into space, a space shuttle, and something else is there. Let's just mm-hmm. put it that way. And the last one I know that um, Victor really loved, and I know you guys all did, that I didn't consider horror that uh, Victor did was broadcast signal intrusion. Oh, yeah. Uh, Love that movie. Yeah, that was fun. Good, good film, but I found it more on the sci fi side, but I completely understand the argument on the horror side. Yeah. So, so you, I, I, the one I, I wasn't as high on that everyone else is was the power of the dog. Yeah, I came in about I, the I middle fa- of the road on that. I, I just, I found, kept thinking to myself, get on with it. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, you know, like it was a family dynamic kind of thing, and like just what's happening. Yeah, so. it's it's a it's a toxic masculinity story um, that takes too long, I think, to get to its point. Whereas mm-hmm. Writers of Justice gives it exactly the right yeah. <laughs> treatment. So yeah, that and that was about it. I mean, I have a lot I could talk about, but I don't know. Like, do you consider old horror? I don't know. I don't consider it at all. No, I don't. Either. <laughs> 
Sorry. Hey, the acting's kind of horrific. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There's so, a rapper uh, named Mid Size and Dan. I'll never let that go ever. Oh. Victor, what do you got as, on the cutting room floor? Old, which they released on my birthday. Um, <laughs> Have you seen it yet, Victor? No, I haven't seen it. I haven't dared. I will say this, Victor. The bones for a good story were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just didn't. Pull They're probably in the graphic novel that he cannibalized to make the movie. I remember <laughs> last year's Super Bowl that we had a thread going for the X Files, and the minute this trailer aired, I think Victor and I said at the same time, "This looks like a funnier die like joke of an M Night Shyamalan movie." <laughs> oh yeah, I thought it was a joke. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was like a, we're like, wait, it's real, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, well, yeah, I, I'll just mention a couple of movies. Uh, I think we talked about some of them. Um, yeah, Pig almost made number 10. Uh, great anti-revenge film. I guess the one thing I didn't say about it was, uh, you know, Cage is, is sort of playing this homeless former um, former superstar chef. In, in It's a bit of a spoiler, but um, it, it, I don't think it really interferes with the climax of the movie. Um, but that revelation that, you know, we, even at the height of our careers, we are all potentially future homeless people was very sobering to me. (laughs) Like that was, yeah, that was a great, um, line that they put in the movie. But, uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, so Coda, I liked, um, now this is, yeah, uh, it's a remake of a French film, and I understand what they did in France was they they uh, they used uh, hearing actors uh, playing deaf characters, and um, so when Apple <laughs> remade it, they used actual uh, deaf uh, deaf actors to play those parts, uh, and um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's 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 an underdog story that you've seen a million times before, but the point of view from the deaf side of the story is brilliant, yeah. and um, I think it's worth seeing based on that alone. Um, it's like the good version of movies I usually roll my eyes at. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's it's very likable, um, and uh, obviously the Green Knight. We we talked about that. Um, yeah. Oh, the uh, oh, the tragedy of Macbeth, which I thought um, Trey was <laughs> was talking about. <laughs> no, nope, haven't it, seen it that is, one yet. Yeah, it's also done in a four by three ratio, and it's also in black and white. It may be less and, Shakespearean um, than Justice League. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it didn't make. It's a great movie, yeah. and and it's it's like if you're if you're a huge fan of the Coen Brothers, like this is one of the Coens doing his art film thing yeah. without any commercial trappings whatsoever. And it's just, it's the Shakespeare story. I mean, we've seen it a ton, ton of times before, but, you know, with, I forget which Cohen it is, but uh, it's probably Joel. Joel's the director, um, yeah. With, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, with Joel behind the camera, like, Joe, he totally controls everything that's in every shot, and some of the images are really amazing. So I, yeah. I think it's worth seeing just for that. Um, and uh, yeah, lastly, the witches, the way he handles the witches were very, it was very cool. Witches, yeah. it's, it's genius. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Leslie, this is a film that was formerly like number five in my <laughs> list, um, but it's Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain. Uh, it's a documentary about the career life and death 
of uh, the suicide death of Anthony Bourdain. And um, uh, I thought it was a fantastic documentary until I found out that some of the sound bites they used in the climax of the movie where he's talking about things that led up to his suicide are fake. Like what? they're AI, oh, they're, no. they're AI generated. Um, they, what they did was, you know, he has said so many lines over the years with all his TV shows and interviews and stuff that they just cobbled together sounds that he's made and made them into words and made them into things that he actually said, but never said on tape. So that seems um, dishonest. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, And I, I felt like that's totally acceptable in a film, but since it's a documentary, I felt that well, I can't really trust anything that's particularly in the film not with a, without some sort of disclaimer or some sort of like recognition, right? Like you know, like a, exactly. like I stop out and say, "Oh, by the way, you know, like you know, that's a part where Werner Herzog informs us we will not let you hear him eaten by the bear, you know, or something like that." Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, that would that would have been a great way to to I, I, clearly the filmmakers never thought they would get caught, and uh, you know, they did so. Yeah, uh, but it's a great it's a great movie, and I, I feel like in spirit it's it it holds, but um, it's not a great documentary. So there you go. Excellent. So Nathan, what's on? I just have thirty. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a lot. There's a lot that were on there that that were and I think the the thing is like the next like fifteen down from the top ten we're on the list at any point in time, you know, like it just shuffling things through. So I thought there were a lot of great movies, but uh, many that were already mentioned, the Mitchell's versus the machines. I love spine of night. Uh, we talked about the hand of God. I thought that was great. And pig uh, no time to die. The James Bond movie. I'm not even a big James Bond fan. And I think the Daniel Craig movies have been fine, but I thought it was a really good a uh, way to kind of make me kind of care about this character and care about the world. And I, it was a great action film. And I think that they, you know, the closest we may ever get to a James Bond send off. I feel like they did it here. They, they almost make up too much of a character to the point where he doesn't quite feel like this James Bond, you know, this sort of legend, but I, I really liked it. Um, I'm a big Wes Anderson fan. And I thought the French dispatch was sort of Wes Anderson distilled to, to to almost pure whimsy. Some people will probably hate that, but I loved it. I think it was, I think if you're a Wes Anderson fan, it's uh, it's kind of cool to just watch him riff and there's maybe even less like story than it's ever been there. But the, the vignette style works, I think in some ways, for me, it was one of his most enjoyable movies since the Royal Tenenbaums because it allowed him to almost work in that, that cartoonist sort of style that he does, you know, that it, it has a sort of incidental charm to it. So if you like Wes Anderson, I highly recommend it. Um, I really like Spencer, the, the story that dealt with uh, princess Diana on the weekend when she essentially is decides that she's going to get uh, divorced from Prince Charles. And uh, it has, uh, is directed by Pablo Loren. There's, there's an element of a, an ominous, uh, sensibility to it almost feels like a horror movie you know except in the horror movie where the third act drops you know the the ominous sort of uh atmosphere never goes away you know it's still sort of hanging over the film and Kristen Stewart was wonderful in the movie I thought um I I tend to like her anyway I am not a fan of Twilight someone pointed out this is another movie about her being inducted into a family full of vampires 
and uh, <laughs> <laughs> she's great. Yeah, yeah, she she's uh she's and she's really good in this one. A really strange movie I saw this year that's directed by uh, Leo Cracks, uh, who did uh, what was Holy Motors back in the day in I think 2012. Mm. This is a net, and it's so weird. Uh, the uh, Letterbox describes the story of Henry, a stand-up comedian with a fierce sense of humor, and Anne, a singer of international renown. In the spotlight, they're the perfect couple. Healthy, happy, and glamorous. The birth of their first child, Annette, a mysterious girl with an exceptional destiny, will change their lives. So this is super weird. It's like Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard basically have like a Pinocchio baby. And it's also a weird (laughs) avant-garde musical full of surrealism and just strangeness off the cuff. uh, And it's on Prime right now, so you can go watch it. So, uh, if you, I don't know, did anyone here see, uh, Holy Motors? Yes. Uh, Yeah. And so gauge what, I don't know what you thought of it, Victor, but yeah, yeah. I liked it. Then you're, you're likely, uh, you'll, you will likely also like Annette. If you hated Holy Motors, stay away. But yeah, it's, (laughs) it's that kind of, uh, French surrealism and it's, Mm -hmm. it's a little bit on the nose, but it's always kind of fun to watch. I also really liked uh, Rebecca Hall's directorial debut passing. Uh, also black and white that's on Netflix right now and has uh, Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega in it. Uh, that is, you know, it deals with the 1920s and a black woman finds her world upended when her life becomes intertwined with a former childhood friend who's passing as white. And uh, the when I first heard of the movie and saw the trailer, I was like, I don't know if this is going to work, but uh, Hall, who's a great presence in almost any movie I've ever seen her in, she shows a really great uh, handle on directing. And I think, uh, definitely give the film a chance because it really surprised me and it really uh it made me uh very anxious to see her direct another movie she really puts a lot of poignancy into the film we talked a little bit would uh, the folk horror documentary of woodland's dark or woodland's dark and days bewitched a history of folk horror i thought yeah. this was amazing it's very comprehensive if you're someone who kind of doesn't even have a handle on folk horror at all this will be insightful if you think you know a lot about it you'll probably find a few things that you didn't know and <laughs> yes um i've got also really recommend I, I mentioned this at the beginning before we started recording but uh this has also been packaged with severin has a full car box set and if you are somebody who's who's ever one you know ever sort of thinking oh is this a you know worthwhile this box set it's got like something close to 20 some films and they're all like obscure ones. They're not even like the, uh, you know, this, the, this documentary mentions sort of a trilogy of films saying, Oh, which finder general and blood on Satan's claw and the wicker man. None of those movies are in the box set. This is like, you know, uh, stuff that they, they had to dig up good stuff, but stuff yep. that they definitely yep. did a, a deep dive archeological <laughs> dig to find. The good news is if you have a shutter, uh, subscription on uh, the documentary and several of the films, a good chunk of the mm-hmm. films, uh, probably like two thirds of the films are actually on shutter right now to watch. And I yep. will just tell you, there's a piece of madness on there from Iceland called Tilbury. Uh, start with that and <laughs> yell at me later, but, um, but, but watch the, watch the documentary. Um, Cause it's, uh, it's amazing. It's very, it's, it's long, but it is so worthwhile. And it is, I, I love when someone kind of takes a deep dive and from a research perspective on the topic like this and does it justice uh, in film form. And it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And every detail that I, I, I'm really interested in full horror and every detail I had ever heard that was interesting is in that documentary (laughs) and more. Yeah. And and, and more. That's true. Um, So yeah, I think, 
there were a lot of other movies I I really enjoyed, and you can hear my thoughts on my on the horror movies. I will say there's a couple on that list there, uh, including Last Night in Soho that would have and Titan who that would have really been on this list. I think if I weren't making a separate a separate list, yeah. So. That's excellent. And the last one I wanted to just kind of bring up that isn't horror. I don't consider horror, but it came from a horror director. And that's George A. Romero's The Amusement Park. Oh, yeah. That's a, yeah, that I had, I didn't have that on my list, but I had it as a like mention because I, I really liked that movie. And again, it was like his lost film, but I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a very um, kind of interesting, you know, it definitely has the feel of a film artifact. Uh, but I liked what he was doing with it, and I liked kind of what you know. I I I always sort of appreciate Romero's perspective on things, and I thought it was interesting. Yeah, it's what Jay uh, Jay Piles used to call social horror, hmm. and it's really the treatment of the elderly. And honestly, the way they were treated in 1975 is not much different than they are in 2022. Yeah, and and it's 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 scary. But it's very, as as much as a forty seven year old film can be, a piece of uh, history that's just as important today. It's very reflective of today. Hmm. Um, did you? So have you? Have you both seen it, uh, Trey or Victor? Have you guys? Seen yeah, it? yeah. I've no, seen it. I haven't. It's yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh no, I was gonna say it didn't quite click with me <laughs> in the way it did with everyone else. It seemed like I was pretty. Uh, pretty middling on this film but um yeah it's it certainly has a message and has something to say but i just i guess as a film it just didn't connect with me but when you take the thought process of it wasn't made to be a feature-length film it was no sponsored by i forget that's the best part of it yeah it was a church or something (laughs) wasn't it it was a church so it was commissioned by the lutheran Mm. service society of western pennsylvania they wanted to make this educational film about elder abuse and then when they saw what he had made, they're like, no, they're like, no. I mean, he does make a movie about elder abuse, but it's such a nightmare trip that you're like, this is not. Good. I think it, it it literally sat in a closet for 40 some odd yes, years. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly I think right. it had one showing back in the day. Nobody uh, liked it. So I think one of the pastors was like gave it to his like sister and was like, here, hide it somewhere. <laughs> Never let to see the light of day. <laughs> it, it, it's under the community. Exactly. It's, stuck it's under in the, the back. It's, it's, it's under the, the bread tins that they use to make the rolls for like the Sunday potluck. Now, before we leave, I just, uh, today I, or the other day, I quickly put up a post in our group. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anybody else that has a list. So I won't belabor a lot of time, but people put the time and effort to, give it so i think they deserve to be heard our friend brian scott said wrath of man was great i remember watching wrath of man that's another wife on the couch movie uh, jason statham <laughs> in an ensemble cast and brian it was a, a great film uh karen wagner says i don't know if i have 10 but let me think a minute <laughs> matt matt rawlings had nightmare alley and no time to die Good call. Uh, our our good friend of the show, Amanda Lee, said pig, nobody, cop shop. I didn't did anybody. Yeah, that's fun. That's, no, um, I didn't. No. Cop shop is oh uh what's the director? Um Joe Carnahan. He had two movies this year. He had Cop Shop, which was a lot of fun. I had uh Frank Grillo, and he also had uh 
boss level with Frank Grillo that was also oh. a lot of fun. So, oh, boss! Yeah. I didn't realize I didn't realize he directed that. Yeah, yeah. That was a good well, that one was a weird one. Isn't Frank Grillo kind of pushing the edge of being an action they, guy? I think yeah. Carnahan's trying to get him there. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> he may yet. <laughs> But yeah, so she had Cop Shop, The Last Duel, Free Guy. Nobody mentioned that's Free Guy. That's a fun movie. I enjoyed my kid. That's probably my kid's favorite movie of last year. Nightmare Alley, The Green Knight, Cruella. She mentioned Cruella, if anybody. That movie was that. much better than I expected it to be. I'd written it off. It showed up on Disney Plus, and I legitimately had a good time watching it, and I was pretty much against it. So, uh, The French Dispatch and The Harder They Fall were her top nice. 10 so good list amanda good list. i mean we got yeah. this far along and you still mentioned ones that nobody yeah. had yet so good on you uh jason widgington our good friend who's been on before uh said beyond the infinite two minutes uh, yes. without question one of the best films but hasn't been I released here that. yet as far as i know see jason it? saw it at a film fe- jason's the one who also turned us on to um the spine of night like he had gone to the fantasia film festival and i believe that's where he saw beyond the infinite two minutes but it sounds amazing and, and i'm hoping for a and, and really... what's that what's that asian one the really gory one he said um, the, the madness? sadness the sadness sadness yeah. we need to check that out so uh Jason, you can check that out for me okay, <laughs> it was a little rough for me yeah and and another one that's uh another person that's basically a crew member tommy wood lots of good films this year wrath of man dune nightmare alley the last duel and west side story Chalk one more up for West Side Story. Uh, Greg Bozzelli said Eternals, Mortal Kombat. He says the first 15 minutes are a masterpiece. Uh, the Little Things. Did anybody watch The Little Things? Things I don't think I did so. Not. No. Remy Malik, Denzel Washington, and Jared Leto. Enough said. He's oh, like, I did see that. That I, was a HBO movie, like a uh, kind of cop uh, uh, procedural yeah. movie. I did see that. Yeah. I forgot. I, it was one that I, I did want to see. I yeah. just, I will get to. Uh, Shang Chi, he put as number two. Uh, did you guys all see that? I did. Yeah, yeah I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a pretty good movie. Yeah, and his number one was Spider Man: No Way Home. Nice. And a friend Great of the pack. show, Karen Wagner, who's been on before. Number, I'll go from uh, okay. Number four, she had Broadcast Signal Intrusion. Uh, number three, she had Shang Chi. Number two, she had Lamb. She said it's so super weird. It didn't <laughs> yeah, feel like horror to me. I, yeah. yeah, I did put Lamb. And on number my one, she had been. Yeah, Lamb is one of those ones you could have skirted either. What way. was number one? And then she goes, oh, her number one was okay. Dune. And then she goes, and then these movies I'm sure will be on the list when I finally watch them: Spider Man, Pig, No Time to Die, and The Nightmare Alley. <laughs> uh, Richard A. Zerbian, way to go, Richard. He said Bad Trip with Eric Andre and nobody with Bob Odenkirk. Oh, I'm going to see that this trip? weekend. Bad trip? Yeah. Okay. Where is that? Is that uh, a Netflix. Netflix? Okay. Our friend Ian Urza always has really great comments and insights. Number one, Licorice Pizza. Nice. Number two, American Underdog. Do you know American Underdog? Yeah, I haven't yeah, seen it's a Kurt it. Kurt Warner movie, yeah. but I have not seen it. Okay. Number three, Spider Man No Way Home. Number four, Nobody. Number five, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Number six, The Suicide Squad. Number seven, Godzilla versus Kong. Number eight, The Matrix Resurrections. That's the first we've heard of that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shang Chi at nine and Cruella at 10, and an honorable mention of Wrath of Man. Good list, Ian. Uh, Mike Miller. Hey, Mike, it's Miller time. He <laughs> loved Spider Man uh, No Way Home, really brought back childhood memories. Is that of the Electric Company Spider-Man? Is that the memories I brought back? 
<laughs> what? <laughs> didn't you ever watch the Electric Company and they had yeah. Spider Man? They had Spider Man. I didn't Electric? know Spider Man. No, I didn't know that Electric either. Company. Yeah, yeah, Morgan Freeman. Yeah, he's on. Was it. on back then. But is Morgan Freeman and, secretly Spider Man? Ooh. Well, who knows? Oh, He's old spoiler enough he could have been. So. Now I have to look up Spider-Man Electric Company. <laughs> there hey, you go. you guys. <laughs> and Billy Davis. Hey, Billy Davis. He had Pig, Power of the Dog, and The Green Knight were the best non-horror films he saw this year. And the last thing is our wonderful friend Pearl Morgan, Greg Morgan's wife and on Land of the Creeps, she submitted to me her top 10 list. I said, well, can't you get one for Greg? And she goes, Greg hasn't seen 10 that are good enough to be worthy on a list. <laughs> so, <laughs> He's been busy. So, yeah. so Pearl said last night in Soho, which again, you could argue either way, mm-hmm. yeah. Godzilla versus Kong. Okay. Uh, there's a movie here. Nobody's mentioned that I, I can't say I'm familiar with Joe Bell. Hmm. Yeah. That's with, um, uh, who is it? Um, Mark Wahlberg. Oh, okay. That's what I actually <laughs> like Mark Wahlberg as an actor. So, yeah. We'll get to that. The Boogie Forever Nights. Purge. The Forever Purge I had as horror, but I did mm-hmm. like it. Uh, the Boy Next Door. Oh, that was yeah. A good movie. Uh, Don't Breathe 2. The Deep House. Mm-hmm. Oh, the first comment about Red Notice. Uh, and Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah, I wouldn't consider that horror, would you? Ghostbusters Afterlife? I, it, it's in that realm. I mean, it could go either way. Like, I, yeah, I, I mean... I guess it depends on your threshold for uh, <laughs> I guess I guess some people could be freaked out by Ghostbusters. As a kid, and I finally was. she had finally she had pig. So great list there, Pearl. You, the fact that we're three and a half hours in and you still got us thinking. Yeah, that was a good list. <laughs> so does anybody have any parting remarks regarding the list or the movies of twenty twenty one? Um no. Oh man, I yeah. I, sorry, I just I just want to thank you guys. I wrote down everything that I haven't seen that you guys picked. Definitely going to be busy over the next month or so. <laughs> so number one on that list, most important, is Nash Bridges. <laughs> yeah, I wrote it down. <laughs> now, I don't know, but one more I wanted to mention, I thought would be better that I just couldn't get into was Belfast. Did anybody oh, yeah. see Belfast? Oh, no, I, I, I haven't seen it. That. No, I heard a lot of good things. I liked it. Yeah, I, I didn't love it, but I did like it. I was hoping more Michael Collins than Angela's Ashes. Hmm. And I, I think it fell more towards the Angela's Ashes. It was not as depressing. The, uh, but No, but, not quite I as. Mean, but I was hoping for more anarchy in the streets, and yeah. you didn't get as much of Angela's that. Angela's Ashes, the but, movie, uh, was like... Uh, smack your family, drink heavily, puke into the pouring rain, rinse and repeat for like two, <laughs> two and a half hours. Oh, and, and that's that's Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, this is this is a little bit more lively, and I really liked uh, yeah. Kieran Hines as the as the grandfather. He's always good. That's it. All right. So uh, Trey, is there anything else you wanted to comment about your list or what we omit omitted or anything? No, I don't think so. I just think overall it was a pretty good year, and I think we saw a lot of different picks on our list. So that was that was really cool to get a variety. That's true. And and the one thing I took out of this is a lot of, of a lot of us put a lot of different documentaries, which makes me think that the documentary year was really really strong, which mm-hmm. I really liked about this. All right. So Trey, why don't you let the listeners know 
about well, your podcast and where before we do that let's get back to this electric oh. company spider-man thing. oh electric company <laughs> well, because Sorry. You, you are vindicated bill and it's freaking creepy okay. um so i have to, i found this article that shows the spider-man and he looks like his arm is melting i'm not sure what's happening there but there was a spider-man Ooh. song but it is not the song that we know uh this mm. this person is writing about their experience with uh the Spider-Man uh, on an electric company. They say, I'll never forget the lyrics of the theme song. Spider-Man, where are you coming from, Spider-Man? Nobody knows who you are. These lyrics disturb me greatly. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I mean, and I think the thing is that in this, the presentation of Spider-Man is that nobody knows who he is. Like, there is no Peter Parker. He just shows up everywhere as Spider-Man. It's just this lonely yeah. character that's constantly being tricked. And no one knows knows who he is. Maybe this is a precursor for No Way Home, but you know. Well, it's a funny thing. <laughs> Spider Man would be on, and then there'd be some kind of kid story, but a social setting, yeah, or something like would be mixed into you know. Right on the day yeah. on the day all Spider Man was a nice sandwich. He was tricked by a villain who planted a rubber glove between two pieces of bread. So <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when that happens. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> that damn rubber baloney yeah, happened. So that's the time. picture that I, now I know what I'm. Looking at here is Spider-Man holding a sandwich with a with an entire rubber glove sticking out of the middle of it. Bill, this is insane. I was gonna say I distinctly remember watching it when I was I don't know three four whatever it is you know. There's so things that stick with things you. Things you learn, yeah. That's yeah, and and um, Morgan Freeman would have been oh I don't know in his early forties then, so he's just kind of getting <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. All righty, Trey, we're back at you. What do you want us to know about you? Yeah, so um, I run a bi-weekly podcast on the history of horror movies, as we kind of talked about in the open. Um, right now, uh, closing up with um, an episode on Spanish horror, a um, little bit of background into Spanish film history, and then some about 18 deep dive movies, deep cuts that I tried to find that I'm doing many reviews for. So that'll drop Three Hours of the Blind Dead? Three Hours of the Blind Dead? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh no, it's deeper than that, Bill. <laughs> to uh not all great films, but uh I enjoyed Oh lots of Jesus Franco. It. Jesus Franco. <laughs> no. <laughs> a few, a few. But um but yeah, so I'm really enjoying doing that. Um so yeah, you can find the podcast over on Twitter at Screaming Ages and I have all the episodes hosted on pretty much every podcast service and yeah. And we have links to those in the show notes to uh, Trey. So we, uh, everyone oh, will be able to get there. Uh, via and, that. And, and, and anybody that anybody that hasn't interacted with Trey, he's great to chat with. I'm sure he'll take, you know, Anybody who comes, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what you're are you yeah, no, are thanks. you like creating a revolving door for someone else's podcast right now? Like, that's it, go on in, wander, stumble in, you know, you'll find it. Find Use the fridge, <laughs> <laughs> but Trey, it was really good. You have a great sense of humor, and you're welcomed anytime you want to be on the podcast. Oh, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys having me on, really had a lot of fun. Yeah, you are welcome, Victor. Back I was going to say, Victor, where yeah. where can they hear you and where can they find you? Oh, yeah. Best thing is just to uh, uh, find me on Twitter. I'm at Dime Store Caesar, one word. And um, yeah, if you, you, you can uh, DM me if you just want to talk about movies, which I'd love to do. Um, and uh, I know this was a non-horror show, but 
Uh, I write horror and um, I have a book called The Sound of Fear. I believe that there is a link that Nathan has kindly provided. And I have a podcast called Inside the Sound of Fear, where I read each of the 12 stories that's in that book. And my producer, Josh, walks me through inspirational sources for each story. So, yeah, check it all out. And do you have anything that's been published recently? Yeah, um, right now, <laughs> uh, right now I'm doing um, kids uh, educational comics. Uh, so we haven't quite hit the first issue I script doctored, but when we do, I will share that with you. Um, but uh, it's it's interesting when you, we were talking about George Romero, who was my hero growing up because he was a Latin American guy who made movies I loved uh, and was commercially successful. Um, that's who I always wanted to be when I was growing up. And <laughs> maybe one of my crazy scripts <laughs> will be treated that way by the people who I'm now working with. So, uh, but yeah, they're supposed to be educational comics for kids, but uh, obviously I like horror and noir and those things do show up in the story. Does anyone bite into a sandwich with a rubber glove in the middle of it? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> well, guess what? I don't think anyone remembers this. So, <laughs> I, can, I was going to say, and Romero, Romero finished off his life living in Toronto, so he was a smart man. Oh yeah. Oh, but yeah, I have um, actually. There's a uh, there's a book that's about to come out. It's going to come out on it, probably by the time if you're a listener, if you're listening to this, it'll probably be out. Uh, it's called Uchronia. It's like the the letter U and then Cronia, um, and uh, it's sort of a best of best of anthology and it has a story that i wrote in 2016 in it um called scripto inferior that's also in my collection but uh, if you want to check out what the other writers best uh, best of best ofs are um it's like mostly science fiction and fantasy uh are in that book uchronia that's coming out and i don't know nathan if you want to talk about the project you have with sure yeah victor coming up um yeah, so we find that I also have links. Victor, also, uh, you even in The Sound of Fear, you have stories that are also outside of horror, like some noir stories and some fantasy stories. And you have a fantasy yeah. heist story that you published over the, or you, that was published over the summer in a collection. And I have that. Links are in the show notes as well. Oh, yeah. Last year. And uh, yeah, thanks to a friend of mine, it might be up for a Derringer Award. Oh, very uh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know if it pans out. <laughs> I was going to say, and we want a big picture of you smiling with the trophy if you win. Oh, yeah. Yes. And uh, <laughs> Victor and I, we do have a uh, another Phantom Galaxy podcast with another podcast that we're going to start. We When yeah. we did our horror, um, best horror novels uh, episode, we got a lot of great feedback on that. And we're looking to start a series called Shadows in the Library. And anyone's been kind of following along with Fam Galaxy knows that we previously did some episodes that were narrative horror. Victor read some, Bill read some, and, and I would put sound effects in. We had Dave Roy, a lot of different people did stories for us. And uh, they were really cool. They're just very time-consuming to release a set of like four or five stories at a time, all with their own individual sound design. So uh, we had some that came in, and we were going to release as a kind of back in the in uh, October, but what we're going to do is sort of uh, pair these with an actual, uh, we're, we'll, we'll see how it goes, we're aiming for, you know, every month or, maybe, you know, I don't know, bi-weekly may be ambitious, <laughs> but uh, we are going to start a series that's looking at 
short stories and novels and things like that. And we will, we will we'll be doing a section called Feed My Read where we suggest titles to you. We will probably do, uh, you know, maybe not top tens, but top fives. We're, we're going to try to also pull uh, some short fiction that's out there right now that, you know, you can sort of go take a look at and read and review those. And then paired with that will be uh, short stories in the public domain that are being actually narrated in red will be sort of the back half of the episode. And Victor and I will probably have a segment where we kind of comment on that uh, and, and talk about whatever the, uh, the, the story is that's that's being narrated so look forward to that it's going to be shadows in the library we're going to have uh probably first episode will be in february we're still pulling pieces together for that i've got a lot of interesting stuff but we need to, to hash some of that out <laughs> victor but Ooh, yeah I, can't wait I'm, uh, just in time for valentine yes season. that's true yeah <laughs> so we'll have to we'll have to find uh so but it's a science fiction fantasy or really anything within uh, genres and we will. Uh, we're looking forward to to bringing that in. And I'm I'm I've got a couple of guests I want to run by you too. Some some oh, people that I'd like to interview. So I think it'll be fun and cool. Hopefully, um, uh, Stephen King's coming up. Stephen King. Yeah, there he goes. Stephen King <laughs> with a V. So just a totally different guy. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, it's he, a common name. Right. Yeah, I was going to say he, he he lives in Tacoma. You know. <laughs> I haven't published anything. I, I do, yeah. but um, I'm big on the message boards. That's yeah. what I am. He's got a short story called Car- Carrie, C A R E Y. It's everything. Already, yeah. Pet cemetery with an actual C. Yeah. Um, anyway, oh, the one, the one, I was going to say the one movie I want to see that I haven't yet is Ape versus Monster, which is Asylum's version of. Uh, Godzilla versus Godzilla. <laughs> good for you. Not even <laughs> wow. the director wants to see that. <laughs> As for myself, you can find me on Land of the Creeps. You can find me on here. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Letterboxd. Just feels like Kane from Kung Fu. Hollywood. Just wanders. I, yeah, I wandered the through the through the desert, and I'm on various podcasts here, there, and everywhere. So, give me a shout. This has been a lot of fun, gentlemen. It's been great having you guys on. I can't believe we started, God, three and a half hours ago. Oh, yes. <laughs> this will be a nice edit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and only one pee break. So yeah, I'm quite proud good. of myself. So that's awesome. Well, yeah, that's that's the episode. Thank you so much, everyone uh, who listened. And thanks for everyone who dropped their uh, suggestions. I will be, uh, now that we've wrapped up both these episodes this week, I will be... Uh, just send we'll pull in some of the names that from just out random for people we'll pull some of the names randomly that were submitted and uh, send out I've, I've been stockpiling those uh digital codes for a bunch of movies so we have copies of uh scream from you know the original scream in uh in the 4k digital for that and uh, the, the high def digital for french dispatch and a couple of other movies so we'll be giving those away uh, this week. Don't don't forget Tom and Jerry. Yes, Tom and Jerry. I'll get right on that. I forgot that was even a movie, Bill. I didn't know what you were doing earlier. And then suddenly that Chloe Grace Moretz movie kind of came back in mind. Although there was, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I got one more honorable yep. mention. That movie yeah. uh, beginning of last year where it was her and the gremlin on the in the plane in like a 19... 19- oh. 40s shadow yeah, that was the yeah. movie was a lot better than i expected it to be i thought it was a fun sort of almost felt like an amazing yeah. stories episode with feature yeah life. it really did amazing stories yeah, it was That's cool great. it yeah. was a lot of fun yeah. 
anyway, that's the episode. And if uh, I don't think anyone says anything, then that's uh, that's it. This is the Phantom Galaxy signing out. Everybody, take care. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth pop artist Aries Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth pop. A lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at ariesbeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Thank you.